So yo, like to welcome everybody to the uh, legendary Tree Sound Studios. Make some noise for Tree Sound real quick. Huh? Like nice. See a lot of family in the house tonight. Well, I'm Groove Chambers. Y'all know, you know, from Three Little Digs. You know, and uh, shit, man. We in here, man. It feels good, man. <laughs> feels really good. But yo, A3C's a rap. How many? How many of y'all had a good time at A3C though? Good. Nice, man. So yo, I'm excited, man, because y'all know I love hip hop. I just, I love this shit from the core of my existence. And like today, we get to see like not just like one legend, right? We get to see two legends, like one legend interviewing another legend. You know, that's amazing. Like, just make some noise for that. Like, just what that even means. It's crazy, man. But real quick, um, I'm not going to do the formal intros, man. I just wanted to welcome y'all out tonight. Um, y'all see Molly in the back cooking. Y'all know if we're doing something here, y'all know what time it is. Molly going to cook. But real quick, man, I want y'all to make some noise real quick, man, for my man who's down with the Combat Jack show, who's a big part of why it exists, man, A-King. Make some noise for A-King, y'all. Cheer, cheer, cheer. Oh, there he, is, there he is right there. Listen, listen. I'm A3C'd out. That's why I'm sitting over here. I'm tired. I'm trying to get drunk. But, yo, man, shout out to the Combat Jack show. I'm a fan. Like, to be a part of it, I'm a fan too, man. And shout out to y'all for even fucking with this shit. You know what I mean? We didn't promote it on social media. We didn't do none of that shit. We just word of mouth this shit, man. And, and, and the love is prevalent in the room right now. But without further ado, we're going to keep the proceedings going on. Shout out to, yo, man, so many artists, producers, so much talent in the room right now, man. It's crazy. But um, I want to introduce my favorite, the, the, the black, we call him the blackest Italian that we know, right? You know what I mean? Coming out of Brooklyn. Where are you from? Sheepshed Bay, Coney Island? What the fuck? I <laughs> Benson Heist. <laughs> nah, man. Yo, big up. My dude, my brother. We argue all the time, but that's it's nothing but love, man. Premium Pete, ladies and gentlemen. Yo, make some noise for Premium Pete. Cheer, 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 cheer. Yeah, and next up, man. I mean, this dude is like, 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 like Groove said, man. He's a legend amongst legends. You talking about entertainment attorney, all that, all those deals in New York City. This broker between '95 and '04, man. Was, him and his firm was a big part of that shit. Now he's a fucking media personality beast. Yo, one time, y'all give it up for Combat Jack. Chip, 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 chip. ATL, how y'all feeling out there? Welcome to the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com. This is a very special episode. Um, this is not the first time that we're performing this live, but this is the first time that we're performing this live in a different state, in a different city outside of New York City. So I really appreciate the love that you guys are giving us and this opportunity. I want to give a shout out to Tree Sounds. I want to give a shout out to Groove Chambers and Molly Hunter. Last year at A3C, we were guests here. And the minute I walked in here, I was like, yo, we have to do a show out here. I swear to God, last year, not only did we say we had to do a show out here, but I was like, I have to honor this city. This city has been so integral in terms of black culture throughout the United States and throughout the world. And I was like, the only person that I really, the first person that, that came out of my mouth, I swear to God, as Groove Chambers, 
The first name that came out of my mouth was Jermaine Dupri because of how important he has been and is important to this culture. So this is such an honor to be in Atlanta, to be at A3C, to be at Tree Sounds, and to be interviewing Jermaine Dupri. So without further ado, I'd like to bring to the stage the legendary Jermaine Dupri. Cheer. Jermaine Dupri, yo. What up? What up? See, y'all got to understand, I'm really excited because as a New Yorker, you know, I've seen you move out. I was outside of the industry when you were doing this. Yeah. And then when I got in, this, in, in, in the industry, I saw what you were doing in Atlanta, man. So this is, like I said, man, this is such an honor Appreciate to it. have you on the stage, man. And, Thank you. And for everybody that knows the Combat Jack show, like Groove was talking all that shit about legends. Now, we're not legends, man. We're just fans. Like right. everybody, almost everybody that we interview, we're fans. And we just want to, in 2014, when it's not, not cool to be a fan anymore, I think that's such an important, uh, uh, important amount of energy that you want to infuse into the game, man. So this is an honor, man. All right, where are you, you know, I was doing some research on you, man, and I didn't know that you had so much Brooklyn credentials with you, man. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, you lived in Brooklyn for a while. Yeah, yeah. Like, like tell the audience about what um, brought you to Brooklyn, man. Like my, my whole, I think, 11, 12, 13, I was in Brooklyn. Um, I started out... Um, with this guy named Chad Elliott, who actually was from Brooklyn, um, he was like, if you've seen Crush Groove, he's in Crush Groove actually. Um, and Chad Elliott was another kid artist that was actually rapping and singing and all of this other thing. And then the Fat Boys manager Charles Statler was managing him, and he saw me on the Fresh Fest, and he was like, "You should make, we should make y'all a group." So, and you know, essentially, we was the first crisscross. It was like. A light-skinned guy and a dark-skinned dude. If you look at us, we look just like crisscross. Um, but, you know, um, long story short, me hanging with Chad and becoming, a, you know, Chad Jermaine as a group, I, you know, I went to stay with him in New York and stay in Brooklyn. And I really was, you know, um, like Johnny Five at that time. I was like the little computer. I really wanted to just, like, soak up as much hip-hop as I could possibly you know, as I could possibly get. And, I, you know, staying with him, that was putting me definitely dead into the heartbeat. I didn't know it was going to be, like, that, you know, embraced <laughs> with it. But I knew that it would put me, like, dead into the heartbeat of what was going on. So I went out there to stay with him. Now, if y'all don't know um, who Chad Elliott is, you know, trivial uh, requests, go back to Crush Groove. Chad Elliott is featured in there. Yeah. Singing, right? Yeah, he's singing in there. And, and Charlie Stetler is such a character. I know Charlie Stetler. Yeah. Man. He's, just, this, he's like a classic, archetypical like, cat from the music industry. Like, your father worked in the music industry. Yeah, yeah my dad was. But, but my dad was, um, he wasn't in the music industry. Well, he was more like into like production. Right. He was like, like the stage manager, road manager, production manager for like mostly all the groups here in Atlanta. So the SOS band, Brick, um, um, whoever else came out of Atlanta, he basically was like, those were the main two, but he, you know, he was working with them. You know, let's go a step back, man. Growing up, um, what did you want to do, man? Everything. I tried everything. I tried... Um, <laughs> I tried everything, I, I, you know, like like flying a plane. Like crazy was when they when it was pushed <laughs> on me, I didn't want to do it. Right. 
But I, yeah, I tried everything. I tried football. I tried basketball. I tried everything. I tried so, everything that, that was out there to do. So your pops was trying to push things on you? Well, at the time when I wanted to play sports, they were selling me to play, you know, they were sending me to piano lessons. And I was like, I fuck piano lessons. Like, I didn't want to go to, I hated piano lessons, like, for real. I wanted to go play football. So I was like, all into playing football. But I was still taking piano lessons, you know, hating it. But I was, you know, I wanted to play football. He wanted to be a cowboy. Uh. Yeah, I wanted to be a cowboy. You know, um, <laughs> that's, matter of fact, that's I, horrible. Matter, yeah, I was, I was like, um, who was I at that time? You know, I played. So I, you thought you were somebody. Oh, by the way, you know what's crazy is that <laughs> I, I was a Cowboys fan, but I was a Lynn Swan fan. So I wanted to there be, I, I wanted to be Lynn Swan. Right. That's who I wanted to be. I wonder, yeah. So how did you, like, your, your pops was doing the production, and, and one thing I didn't know was that the Fresh Fest, yeah. which was a popular tour back in the 80s with, like, the top shelf rappers, was actually created Here. in Atlanta. Yeah. Like, yeah. who was, like, the first headliners of, like, the Fresh I mean, Fest? Well, Run DMC always was the headliners of, of it. Um, a guy named Ricky Walker was the person who created He also was the guy, you know, just to give everybody a history story. He's also the guy who created uh, Universal Circus, Universal Soul Circus. Universal! Yeah, yeah, that's his, that's his thing. He, cre- that, he created that too. Um, but yeah, he created the Fresh Fest, and Run DMC was always the headliners. They just put you know, different other people on there, like Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash, um, LL was on there. A couple, you know, it, it became something else, but Run DMC based. It was like the Run DMC tour. So what's crazy is this. In 1984. Yeah. You're 12 years old. Yeah. I'm not trying to put your age out there, but you're 12 <laughs> years good. old. It's what? not good because I think people think I'm older than that. Like, they don't, they don't understand how young I was when this shit was happening. I wasn't old. I was young. But at 12 years old, what are you doing that convinces your pops to say you're going to open up for the Fresh Fest? Um, talent shows... Winning talent shows and you know um, going to different people's hoods and winning the talent shows in their neighborhoods and just you know talent shows you won so many talent shows just like what's next from dancing yeah from dancing now who were your inspirations from dancing um at that time it was anything I could get my hands on that I could see anybody that I could see as as time grew on I mean it was people that I met you know um, boogaloo shrimp. Um, Pop and Taco, um, the Crazy Legs. I mean, you know, the the real people. Once I got a chance to meet them, they became like the guys that I really was like focused on. So, what was the first show of the Fresh Fest tour in '84 that you did? Um, the first show was h- here in Atlanta at the Omni. Um, I opened up the show, um, dancing. Um, this went like you know you little. You dance. Everybody wants to. They clap. They want nobody will boo you if you little when you dance. <laughs> so my <laughs> my confidence level was like through the roof because there's no way I was gonna get booed. I was nervous though, but you know when you're small and you dancing and you know a little bit about what you're doing, you know there's a whole bunch of black people there. It's gonna be all right. Were you were you break dancing? <laughs> uh, no, nah, I wasn't breaking at that time. I was popping at that time. I, I haven't really. You know, ventured off into breaking. No heavy. windmills. Not, not yet. No head not, spins. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, uh-uh, not at that time. Not that first show. 
It was shit. still more like, you know, Michael Jackson was controlling the world at that time. So it was still kind of Michael Jackson influenced popping. Share with the audience just who you opened up for. Um, I opened up for Houdini, uh, Run DMC, um, the Dynamic Breakers, the Fat Boys. Um, I want to say... I don't know, I don't, I'm trying to remember who else was on the tour, but that was the beginning. It was the Fat Boys, Houdini, and Run DMC was the main artist. Now, you know that wasn't some... Did you know at the time that that wasn't some normal shit? What? Being a 12-year-old kid opening up for Run DMC. I definitely didn't know that. You thought it was normal? Yeah. And you didn't feel... Well, it felt very normal here in Atlanta. Right. I mean, you know, this is the funny thing about Atlanta. Atlanta's always had that, that type of thing. Where like, you know, um, like a guy that, that got me to rapping, his name is Shadi, right? Shadi actually is the first person that wrote a rap for me, right? I used to follow Shadi around. He used to he used to teach me how to break and all of this. And Shadi actually, when I was following him around, he was actually opening for Run DMC. And it was like, it just seemed like the thing that, that you know, that's what, you know, the so opening natural, acts is like... Progression. Yeah, but I mean, the opening acts ain't shit. So, you know, that's how they was treating it. Like, you ain't, they, that ain't no space that you want. That's how they was throwing it out there. Like, they would say it to you, like, yo, you want to open up for us? And it's almost like a death trap. Like, yeah, I want to open. <laughs> Go ahead then, nigga, get out there and do it then. Like, it wasn't never like a, it wasn't like no shit where you felt like you was, you got a belt or something. It was like, you know, this is the trash spot, right? But only difference was it was the Fresh Fest was sold out. So when I went on the stage, I was performing for the same amount of people that Run DMC was performing for. So it wasn't like how shows are today. It was a little different, but it felt normal because I had seen other people do it. And then did you actually go on tour with the Fresh Fest? You yeah. started doing every city? Yes. Now, what's the conversations, if you can remember, that you're having with your pops? I wasn't with, it wasn't with my pops. It was with Ricky because, like, the promoters always want to make sure that they get these shows on time and get these shows out on time, right? At this particular point in time, that's all he was concerned about. He was like, well, you know, Jermaine's little performance um, actually helped us get the time right. So, you know, what you think about him going on the tour? I'm like, I don't know what that even meant right. at that time. Like, whatever. You know, I'm a go. You know what I'm saying? I didn't care about, you know, I, I actually, I was, I had a shit, the shit tr- trip, basically. It was basically a shit trip because I was on tour and I was riding on the cruise bus. I ain't had no real, you know, I ain't had my own, con- you know, accommodations, but I was only 12, so it didn't even matter, right? So, right. Yeah. It didn't matter. 12. Yeah. Yeah. Were you at least getting paid? No. Not, not the first year. Right. The first year I wasn't getting paid. I mean, I got per diem. I think that's what my, you know. I got how many, how many dates? Do you remember? Um, I want to say thirty six cities. <sighs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> thirty seven cities, something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So as this thing starts getting bigger, yeah, like you're now opening up for artists that are really shaping the culture. Like yeah. you, like it was Run DMC and some local act, and then who do you see start coming on? I mean, well, you know, I saw I saw the making of I saw LL Cool J, I seen him birth. Um, hold, I, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're 12, 13 years old. Yeah. And you watch LL Cool J 
Yeah, like I seen, I was on stage performing, I seen LL in the audience. And I used to see him in the audience looking at me. And I'm like, I ain't know who the fuck he was, though. But it, it went away. <laughs> but I'm saying at the time, you go back, when I go back and think about it, I, I mean, I, no, but I seen him. I seen him, like, because they brought him, he was around all the time. You never really knew who he was. And then um, Russell introduced him in Philly. This was the spot that they wanted. So the Philly date, the guy with the blue turquoise um, Kango got to perform. And I'm like, oh, this is the dude that's been here. And he performed radio. Who else, man? Um, UTFO was actually, um, UTFO was the birth of UTFO. Do y'all even know these acts? The UTFO was actually Houdini's dancers. I wasn't Houdini's dancers. A lot of people think that I wasn't a Houdini dancer. I was. I had my own show. So, <laughs> uh, but no. Um, so Houdini's dancers was um, Doctor Ice and Kango. They was the background dancers for Houdini. On the Fresh Fest, they made Roxanne Roxanne on the tour. That's on the tour, what, yeah, they made. So that you song. saw that getting made. I didn't see them actually make this. So I mean, I saw once they put it out. Right, right. This happened on this tour. They put the song out. It blew up. Then they started performing in the Houdini show. So that was another act, right? Um, I mean, every I seen Curtis Blow. I seen. I mean, I seen like when Curtis Blow made "If I Rule the World" and. Um, America and all of them, them songs, you know, eight million stories and all that which shit. Which was which was on his classic album. That was yeah, a classic album. Yeah, yeah. So I seen that whole thing come to life, and then when Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five or whatever six, seven or whatever them is, they got back together. I seen that too. So was um, Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff on that on that tour as well? Nah, they 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 got on the Raising Hell tour. Okay. Raising Hell was after Fresh Fest. Right. Now, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, as a child, you know, one of the things, one of the benefits of being a child is you're very honest. Yeah. Like in your mind, in terms of your critique, who did you think was going to pop and who did you not think was going to pop at that age? Um, Houdini. I didn't think Houdini was going to blow up because Houdini music was completely opposite of everybody else's. They was making music. They was singing and their songs had chords and it sounded different. It wasn't like... It didn't sound like it wasn't hard like Run DMC, and it wasn't extra hip hop like the Fat Boys, and they didn't dress like you know Ecstasy wore sh- leather shorts the, 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 with leather the, the, the boots and hats. a Zorro hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they ain't look like you know what I mean. They wasn't coming out there look like <laughs> they had on leather jackets with you know um, what's the weed clips? Yeah, with the fur on them. They had them yeah. shits hanging off. Like they they ain't look Roach like clips. they ain't look like. Um, the, the other rappers They, wasn't they ain't had a big change No they Jordans ha- Nah No Jordans No no nah So it's ironic Because the, the group That you didn't think Was gonna pop the most You ended up being a dancer Like how did that happen? I don't even know <laughs> I mean you know Like as Like I said When you were a kid Everybody You know You're everybody's friend You're just hanging out With everybody Whoever And whoever would kick it with me I was basically you know, friend with. So, you know, um, it's interesting because I was, I was just as cool with Run as I was with Houdini. But Run just was Run, and he was just in a whole different place. Uh, his mind was just in a whole different space. So me and him never, he never really took me in like, like you my son or nothing like that. But, um, you know, I had the same relationship with Jam Master J that I have with Houdini. I had the same relationship with all of them. Basically, you know, I was having the same conversation with Russell the other day and uh, Russell was like, 
Jermaine, it seems like I've known you all my life. And I'm like, no, the fuck you ain't, because I ain't old as you. And uh, <laughs> I just been around. I've been around, but nah, nah, don't, don't, don't kick it like that. But no, but I, I had like I known Russell. I seen the cocaine Russell that y'all will never see. Cocaine Russell was official. He was a beast. With the, with he was the beard doing, he was and, doing and, and his the shit. fisherman hat. Yeah, yeah. He Russell was, doing was so his official shit, for real. <laughs> Do you remember any of the conversations or any of the pivotal conversations you're having with these? Legends that shaping the culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I remember like, like it was a thing where, where like, um, at one point, Run DMC and Curtis Blow had a beef because Curtis wanted to close the show, right? Um, and he felt like he should close the show because Run was his DJ. Run was his son. Yeah, Run was his son. Son of son of Curtis yeah, Blow. Son of Curtis Blow, and that's that's who Run was, and Run was. Run, Run was Curtis Blow's DJ, and Curtis was actually slinging this information in the backstage one night. And this is what I, you know, I heard it, I seen it, you know, um, I seen Run DMC get in the fight with um, the Grandmaster Flash over the same thing, like a real crazy fight, you know. And Grandmaster Flash already was going on stage with baseball bats before this was they was going. Was Melly Mel part of that? Was Melly Mel part of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all of them. This was like when Larry Love had came out with that song, Larry Love. Like this, they was hot, right? That was their little spot right there. So yeah, I seen I seen so much shit. Like you know, I seen a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen. But you you probably <laughs> shouldn't have seen it. But at the same time, man, it's like you can't get that education in school. Yeah, you know, and you never get it again. You know what I mean? Like, if you ask anybody in here, how many of y'all seen a real Run DMC concert? You see their hands? Nobody. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is only, I feel sorry for y'all. I feel bad for y'all guys because I, I really do because I'm, because it's, y'all love something that y'all are never actually really get a chance to see ever again. You know what I mean? Because that, that, what happened at a Run DMC concert doesn't happen in hip hop nowadays. You'll never see it. I mean, you know, I, that's why I applaud Jay Z for doing what he's doing with the um, selling out the, the the stadiums and all that because he's he's actually giving you a piece of what Run DMC was doing, but it's still not the same. Like I was in the garden one night when 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 Run said, um, "If you came to this motherfucker tonight with Adidas, hold your Adidas up," and everybody took their one sneaker off. The whole crowd, like you, you can't even imagine this. The whole fucking place, legendary moment, took their shoe off, and everybody held their shoe up. Nowadays, niggas be telling you put your iPhone up. These guys told them put their sneaker, one sneaker, and the whole place had on Adidas. Like that shit. When I watch, like, when I look at like brands trying to figure out what's going on with hip hop, and they don't give us the money that they're supposed to. I don't even think they even understand this. This is crazy because I don't think people, like, they'll never see that either. Like, I ain't, I ain't seen that since then. I don't know if anybody else has that power. Nah, that moment was yeah, that, that, one, like, one of a kind. Yeah, you know like, what I'm saying? It's something that is embedded in my head, and I'm like, I don't think you guys even understand how powerful this shit can actually get. It's not even at that level right now. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe that, you know, if Kanye has a deal with Adidas... He can go do a show and everybody in there is going to have on his sneaker. I don't believe that's going to happen. These guys had everybody in that bitch had on shell toes. Well, I mean, as far I, as I could see. Everybody, and the difference would be everybody had it in the show. Nowadays, it'll be everybody has it on, you know, Instagram, you know? 
Yeah, but still, I mean, it's just like it's just like this room. Like, if, if I mean, how many people in here got on Jordans? One, you, nah. See what I'm saying? That's what I'm telling you. It's just, it's just, it's just a difference. It's just a different. Most space. definitely, but it's yeah. almost like even with Jordans. Like sometimes what you say is funny. Like I tell people, you know, Jordan hasn't played in so. There's people that camp out, kill people for sneakers. They never seen Jordan play a basketball game in their life. You know, that's how powerful. He still is, you know. Yeah, I but, mean, well, that, that then that comes from that same period. I mean, something about that era in that period of time. Like me and Puff was having the same conversation. I would never, ever, ever, ever want to be born in a different era than the era I grew up in. Mm. I swear to God. And 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 I, I definitely understand what Jermaine is saying. I'm not trying to. We're not trying to shit on your generation, but it was really. Such a difference, man. <laughs> no, I am, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, listen, listen, and I'm not saying it. It's not shitting on y'all. It's not shitting on y'all. It's, it's shitting on the education that you guys get. It's not about you guys. It's just about the education that you guys get is not there. You know what I'm saying? So, And, and, I, and I fought a lot of people that, that are, you know, in power to do this, um, to give y'all that information. A lot of people are shining that down. Because they want y'all to just eat shit that they want y'all to eat as opposed to the information that they should be giving you. Yo, Jermaine, looking back, man, you know, these pivotal years in your career, what are you learning? Say what now? What are you learning? What am I learning? What are you learning from, from, this, from this experience? Um, I'm learning that, I'm learning um, a lot of things. I'm learning um, just what I said about, you know, um, the Adidas situation. I'm sure that that some kind of way filtered in my mind when I found crisscross and we put our pants on backwards. And like, I seen that same thing happen there. I seen people dress up as my group for Halloween. That's the same type of power. If you walk inside, at this time, important, it was Kmart. We had Kmart and Richway and shit like this before Walmart <laughs> took over. But if you walk inside a Kmart and see a crisscross outfit, and I am like, what the fuck? Like, I was so blown away by that shit. I didn't even get mad and try to sue nobody because I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> it was like they just had it. But it's the same, you know. It's the same. It's the same effect. Like, there's so many people I meet, white, black, Chinese, purple, whatever. They walk up to me and say, "Yo, I was crisscrossed for this, and I was crisscrossed for that, and I used to be crisscrossed. I wore my pants. I got kicked out of school because I wore my pants on backwards." And I'm like, I don't even know. When I said do this, I don't even think I was thinking that it was going to be like that. But I think that that it was the same thing that I, you know, I saw this. It's kind of like you trying to mimic things that you somewhere you've seen it in your head. Yeah, I remember going to a, a, a industry function, a music industry function, like around that time. And a grown ass man, like a grown ass man, like over 25 years old. <laughs> Had his whole shit on backwards. I'm like, motherfucker, you're you're stupid. Like, I understand for the kids, but not 25, man. I know that was what I'm saying. Like, and everybody try to say that. They try to say it was for the kids, but everybody did it. Yeah, everybody did it. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, and I think, like I said, I was. What I learned was the essence of what hip hop is. You know what I mean? I, I, to to answer your question really really thorough, I learned how to DJ. I learned how to break. I learned how to rap. I learned hip hop. I learned what hip hop really means as opposed to just being a record. Yo, who was supervising you at this time? Nobody. 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 What's the craziest shit you was doing? At Fucking. 12? <laughs> at, 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 at 12 or 13. I mean, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen crazy shit, though. I've seen, like, you know, threesomes, 
five sums. And this is normal to you, or this is like I mean, when you on can the I tour, get some? When you're on the tour, it's normal. And you're little, and they want to like, yo, JD, I bet you never seen this. Come here, and it's like, oh, yo, did this, shit. did some shit traumatize you, my dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had, I did it. I got traumatized one day because I had a shirt. I, I always had. Me, I was always like the person that people give shit to us. So I had like one of the freshest, fresh, fresh T-shirts ever. I think it was a bootleg. It was a bootlegger gave it to me, right? Bandu. Yeah, the bootlegger gave it to me, and I put it on, and I was rocking the shit, right? And I, I was going into the backstage, and there was a girl back there that had like the biggest titties I ever seen in my life at that <laughs> time, right? Um, at that time, uh, <laughs> um, and. She was like, yo, I need that shirt. And I'm like, you don't want to go in the show? And she's just like, no, I want that shirt. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my shirt. And she was like, Give me, let, you ha- let me have your shirt. And I'm like, why? I'm, I'm sitting, I'm a kid, so I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm really, like, lost. She took her shirt off, no bra, and was titties out backstage. And then, like, before you get inside, this was outside, and Tailgate I, I gave her my shirt, and I was, I, and I, that whole night I was confused. Like, why the fuck did she want my shirt, and why did she just show me her titties like that? You didn't, like, you didn't, you didn't moan about them titties? Nah, uh-uh. <laughs> and I didn't even touch them. It was just like shown to me. Yo, combat. The crazy thing is, I'm thinking back when I was 12 years old. I was watching fucking Ducktales. This guy is fucking <laughs> banging five girls. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, no, I was. I mean, I seen. I had. I have a lot of crazy experiences like That's that. That's crazy. So, looking back, man, do you think you was kind of like robbed of your childhood? Nah, because I mean, I also was trained to not be. You know, um, I never smoked weed before. You know, still to this day, I don't smoke weed. Like these guys, they, they, they. They were showing me shit, but they also were showing me what not to do and what what to do. Like, it was a lot of teaching going on where it was like, you know, they kept me from getting in trouble and doing what I had to do. You know what I mean? So that it was like, they were showing me fun sides, but they was also showing me, like, don't do this and don't do that. What was the biggest don't? Um, drugs. It was like, you know, cocaine was big back then. It was huge on that tour, too. Yeah, cocaine in the 80s is crazy. I mean, it, yeah, this, this, yeah. I mean, cocaine period, you know. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, but it was, it was, it was, you know, and, and back then they, uh, you, they used to smoke it. You could smell it. Too. Moolahs. You could smell it. You know, you, I, you could tell when there's somebody smoking coke in like one of the dressing rooms or whatever. And it was like, you know, if I have walking in that direction, people, JD, get go out, this man, way. Get out, get go out. this way. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they, they, they shined me from ever wanting to do any of that. I never smoked coke before. I ain't never do none of that, so. So you have a career from 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 twelve to sixteen, right? Yeah, 12, 12 to fourteen. I mean, twelve to fifteen, twelve to sixteen. Twelve to sixteen. What brings you to New York? How do you get to New York? Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, at, well the third year of the tour, me and Chad became a group. So then it went from Jermaine doing his own show to Chad and Jermaine doing a show. What was Chad doing? Chad wasn't doing anything. Um, this was a way for Charlie Stetler to get Chad on the tour because he managed him. So. Okay. He tried to figure out a he, you know, he maneuvered his way right. to chop my set off, and I fell for it, and <laughs> uh, we became a group. And then Chad got on the tour. So, so how'd you end up in, in New York? So then, you know, from from that, me and Chad was hanging out, and Chad was introducing me to 
just New York culture. Um, you know, from there he taught me, you know, I started wearing clocks, I started doing Brooklyn things, you know. But I also was doing Atlanta things, right? So I would go to New York and, you know, I was hanging out with him in the summertime. Um and um just, you know, DJing. He introduced me to Bill Black, he introduced me to um uh Fresh Gordon. Fresh Gordon. Um and who I mean he took like, me to, share, share with these cats who these individuals are, man. Um well Fresh Gordon actually was like um he made this record called Gordy's Groove. I don't know if y'all you know if anybody out there knows this, but Fresh Gordon was like one of the first producers in Brooklyn that had every rapper come to his house and work. Right. So um in Fort Greene Projects, he was doing all this inside the projects. Like up you ain't know I know that, huh? Yeah, he was doing all of this inside Fort Greene. So um, and it's crazy because he was doing this inside the projects and people talk, this is a funny thing. I never lived in the projects. I'm from Atlanta, but every time I hear somebody always talk about the projects, they always talk about how rough the projects are, but niggas in the projects always is doing shit that everybody outside of the projects want to do. Right. So I don't know how rough it is because every time I hear about it, I, every time I see, I was there, I seen niggas in Fort Greene have jewelry on, fresh in the sheep motherfucker. Skins. They looking sheep, Ooh, everything, what? everything you could possibly want. Sherwin. But you always heard that you don't want to get caught in Fort Greene at nighttime. This was definitely what they was telling me. JD, you little country ass nigga, you don't want to get, you better get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. But in, in there, you know, fresh, you know, Gordon, he, I seen Big Daddy Kane. I seen Jay-Z. Before y'all knew who Jay Z was, before Jay Z even made a record, he was in. Before Jay Z knew who Jay Z yeah, was, yeah, he was. His, yeah, his name was. What was his name? Jazzy. Jazzy, yeah, because he wanted to be like Jazzo. Jazzo. So Jazzo, Big Daddy Kane, Jay Z, um, damn, there's a couple other people that was there that that you know that basically pioneered the whole sound and and you, I I was basically there watching this, but you know just growing up in that. Just in that whole little Brooklyn section, just being with Chad. So how are you paying rent, man? Like, how are you living? You're, you're now 16. Yeah, yeah. 16 living in Brooklyn. Yeah. With Chad Elliott, roommates on Eastern Parkway and Nostrand. Yeah. How, how? Um. How what? How y'all doing that? Like as far as what? Who's paying the rent? Uh, who's, who's, I mean, he lived with his mother. No, nah, I mean, we, dishes? We, nah, he lived with his mother. It wasn't like we was, you know, we, okay. we, we wasn't living by ourselves. He right. lived with his mom. Okay. I was just a guest, right? You know what I mean? And And... You know, I ain't need no money. You know what I'm saying? What I, I ain't, what was I gonna do? I ain't need no money. Like, and at this particular point in time back then, riding a train was the shit in New York. You know, particularly for somebody that wasn't from New York. Well, no, Chad used to ride a train. Chad used to try. I mean, by, it just seemed like for me, these guys was like determined to show me something, right? So they would say, JD, let's go ride a train. Watch this nigga rob this nigga. Like, I'm sitting there watching this shit. Niggas is doing this shit. Like, this is what's going on in New York, right? So you just learn. I mean, I just learned, like, New York. Jump in the turn. Don't pay. Turnstile. Don't pay. Um, <laughs> graffiti. Hanging out in Albee Square. Um, just everything. Like, going to record stores that was, like, right in the front of Albee Square. And they playing the music outside. Like, I was just getting a, a learning. It was just seemed like it was just shit that was for me to learn. See, what's crazy is, you know, you have a whole generation or maybe two generations of cats from New York City, from New York City, that don't even know what the fuck Albee Square Mall is. And here you are from ATL, like just kicking it in Albee Square Mall. I w- but, but I, you know, I'm, I was a, I'm a hip-hop fanatic, right. so 
I was chasing anything that was leading to whatever said hip hop. Like I wanted to go where where they buying a jury at, where they making the jury at, who got all the jury, where they getting the gold fronts at, Albie Square Mall. Did anybody ever test you? Because New York, you had to be tested. Yeah, um, I got chased by the Transformers. I got chased by the Decepticons. Both of them. Both of them. At Hell different man. times. Yeah. You ever got caught? Nah. Fuck nah. Because I, I knew what, what they were out here when I'm saying what they did saying, you ha- What did you have on that they was chasing, man? Polo. Because that's what we do out here in Atlanta. Like, polos, that's our shit. Uh, you know, I think... That's what we the, do in Brooklyn, too. Yeah, the Decepticons <laughs> was all Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it was all polos. So, Decepticons. I heard them one night. Matter of fact, they got after me and Crisscross later on in life. Like, I, Crisscross, I took them when it was in New York. We was in, we was in Manhattan, and they wanted to go down 42nd Street and see... And I'm like, okay, let's go. The we, old 42nd the, the Street. Deuce, the, the deuce. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the deuce. deuce. So we went out there. They was crisscrossed, by the way. We ain't know no better. We ain't had no security or nothing. We just was going out being like tourists. Tourists. And we walking, down the, we walking down the deuce. People, you know, take, taking pictures, doing an interview. It was cool. It was a lot, though. <laughs> but then at one point, we bust this left. And I heard behind me, somebody said, transform. And I'm like... <laughs> Flashback. He said, I'm like, I, re- I remember what that shit mean. Like, <laughs> and I just start telling them, like, yo, gotta walk. Let's go. Don't even look back. Just keep walking. Just walk faster and faster and faster. And they was like, what's wrong? And I say, you keep hearing that trend. And they kept saying it. Like, it kept getting louder and louder. I'm like, yo, they get ready to fuck us up. We gotta go. <laughs> and we got away, but they was, they was on our ass. Now you know what's what's beautiful, what's beautiful about yeah, I, well, that's a great pause. Damn. <laughs> now what's, what's I beautiful on that one? What's beautiful about your journey, man, is like you're soaking it all up, man. You're soaking up the dancing, you're soaking up the DJ, but you also got to hang out with the legendary Say Adams, the graffiti art. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you started doing graffiti with. Well, with Say, what's crazy is Say. Me and Say got cool on the Fresh Fest. And Say was like, yo, you from Atlanta. I know none, I don't know nothing about Atlanta. I'm from, you know, I'm from New York. I want to go there. So I brought Say. Say came to Atlanta, and I did the same thing to him that Chad did to me in New York. Okay. So Say came and stayed here in Atlanta with my mother in my house and all that. And was like, you know, trying to tell me, J.D., don't be a graffiti artist. And I was like, nah, teach me how to write. So then he started teaching me how to write. So then I was like, you know, let's go hit Marta. I'm like, yo, let's go bomb the train. He's Marta. like, yo, you fucking crazy. They don't do that in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm like, let's do it. Like, I really want. I was. I'm. I'm telling you, I'm a hip hop junkie. So I start really becoming a graffiti artist. I stopped doing everything that I was doing, dancing and everything, and became a full fledged graffiti yeah, artist. What was your name? Huh? What was your my tag is Jermaine. It just looked crazy because it's so long. Were you racking paint? Were you huh? racking paint at the time? Yeah. Cry on, restore. I was doing, I, listen, I was in all that shit. And I was like, I had got really, really good. My parents put me at art school. So then I went to, you know. Pearl uh, Paint? Uh, huh? You ever hit Pearl Paint in the city? No. What is that? Pearl Paint was the official place where all the graffiti China artists China. went. That's where they stole the stuff from. They yeah, still now now they had all the fat caps, that had the design. Yeah, yeah, the got the fat caps. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I had my own little book that I was to walk around and just do all these little, you know, traces and, and all these outlines all day. If y'all don't know, Say Adams is a, you know, one of the seminal graffiti uh, artists who went on to become a graphic designer. One of his most legendary designs is the Run DMC logo. 
So this is this is this is the legacy that that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I met through say I met you know I met damn near every graffiti artist. Um, I met K you know, Slay. You met K Slay back in the day. I don't remember meeting K Slay, but I'm sure I did. I don't remember. I mean, I, still to this day, I don't remember meeting him back then. So how do you shift, man? How, what 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 brings you from dancing and graffiti to like? You know, I don't want to skip over the DJing part, but what brings you into the whole production um, world? Well, the production part came from just watching. Like I said, I'm a fanatic and fan. I just was into everything that was going on in hip-hop. The When Houdini met these two girls, I guess they met them here in Atlanta, and they took the girls on the tour. So then the girls was on the tour with me and them, and they was going from every city to city. And if you're a girl on the tour, you only really got to... You ain't got no shows. You ain't got really nothing to do. You just got to hang out, right? So for the most part, me and those girls started hanging out. And we started talking. And the guys was like, yo, he's from Atlanta too. And he's like, where you from? Blah, 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 blah. And then I found out, you know, we all lived in College Park. And it was like, oh, damn, that's cool. That's what's up. So then we came back home. And they told him, like, yo, this is my little brother. Y'all should take care of him, take him out, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I should. I ain't got no car and shit. Come get me, you know, all this. So the girls, they so was... So they, they taking care of you. Yeah, they was fly. They was spending their money that they was getting from them. And, you know, it was all good. So you had... You had <laughs> so, yeah, we was going out there taking me Recycling Houdini's money. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd take me out, you know, get me food. Just that and the third, we'd, part, we'd kick it. We weren't partying. We was just kicking it. Um, And then something at some point snapped in my head, like... You should make a group. I don't know what told me to do this, but at that point, I ain't had no drum machine. I ain't had nothing. I ain't had no keyboards, nothing. I just had Herbie Lovebug as my example of what I thought I could possibly do. And I was looking at Herbie saying, okay, well, y'all could do the same thing. Salt and Pepper, let's come up with a girl name for y'all and y'all could do, we could do the same thing and I'll be Herbie Lovebug. That's basically exactly what I was saying. Like, I was talking to them like that. I didn't really have no, like I said, I didn't have no, no equipment. Everything that I made was mental. In my mind, it was a mental song. And then you would rent studio space afterwards and... and then I go, no, I'm, so, so then I came back home, told my dad that I needed, you know, I wanted to go in the studio. He didn't really know what I was talking about either because he wasn't in my life for working at that point like this. So it was like... He hooked me up with the drummer from Brick. The Brick was the group that he worked with. The guy, Eddie Irons, had a studio. It's called 2560. Um, I think the studio's still here. It's on the west side. Um, 2560 was the first spot that I went to, and um, I used to go to that studio. Well, no, let me take it back. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take it back because you want to know the production. Me and Chad tried to make a record first. This is where it came from. Me and Chad tried to make a record, and... When I was staying in Brooklyn, Chad was introduced me to breakbeats. He was like, JD, this the shit right here, right? And at the time, when I used to go to New York, I used to listen to New York radio, and New York radio used to sound so different than Atlanta radio. And you turn on the radio and Red Alert was playing breakbeats. Like, like all the way like, for like 20 minutes. This is what you, no songs. I'm like, what the fuck is he playing? Where's these records coming from? What was being played in Atlanta at the time? Huh? What was we playing in Atlanta at the time? Um, 
it probably wasn't even nobody rapping. Like love songs and R and B and cameo and yeah, like it wasn't it probably at that particular point in time. I'm talking right. about it probably wasn't really you know right right. Um, but <clears throat> what happened was so I'm listening to that. I'm getting drawn in. I'm like, what is these records? That I keep hearing Chuck chill out and Red Alert play, and they'll do like breakbeats for like almost an hour. And breakbeats, you know, if anybody know about breakbeats, they don't have no words. At least when you want the break to play, so they will let the break go and they catch the break. Bam, bam, bam. I'm like, I gotta do that. I want that. So then Chad was like, "This them records that they be playing. This before they put all the breaks on all the breaks. Right. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't so he's like showing you could you go the, buy the, the breaks. The, the, you could, he gave me the originals. This right. where they get it from. This where they got it from. This where Toys they got it from. Toys in the attic. Yeah. It's like Chad was, Chad was really up on all of that shit. He was telling me. So we was going to make a record and um, we had we had created this record in our head off of break beats. By the way, if if this, if this the people would have listened to me when I was 16... I would be further along than I am today, probably. I probably would have been called like the creator of sampling mm. because I had records that I wanted to sample. I didn't know what sampling was, right. but I, I was like, we need to use this, right? So then when me and Chad got together and we were going to make this record, my dad introduced us to Otis Redding because he also worked with Otis Redding, which is Otis Redding the third, the Reddings. So we drove to Macon. And um, they had a studio down there. So we drove to make it on the session. We brought these records. And we told, we said, oh, this is what we want to use, right? And he was like, um, so you just want that, you want, you want it to sound like this. And I'm like, nah. You want that? I want this record. Right. And he's like, you can't use the record. Like it was back, back before like sampling. Sampling was, and publishing. He's like, you can't, you can't just take the people's record. And I'm like, Yes, yeah, yeah. I want to take this. This is what I want. I want to rap over this. And I wasn't like, um, I guess, bossy enough to be like, fuck you, I need this what I want. Right. So I had to deal with what they did. So he made a record that sounded like the loop. He recreated it. Wasn't, but it was so whack. Like, it wasn't nothing close to what I wanted. <laughs> I hope you don't get mad at me right now, Otis. But it wasn't nothing close to it. It wasn't nothing close to what I wanted. And... Him not doing what I wanted made me become a producer. Okay. Now, you know, one of the things that we, I don't want to gloss over also is you mentioned Herbie Lovebug. Yeah. Which is like one of like the first super producers. Yeah. Like you were in that camp or you witnessed? No, no, no. It's a crazy story. Like it's crazy because I, um, so Herbie got a brother named Stevio, right? Since I dance, I be battling niggas, right? One night I battled this nigga named Stevio. I don't know why I battled him, but we just it just happened. We battled. The battle was dope. We both, you know, dapped each other up and was like, let's keep in contact. I kept in contact with him. Come to find out that's Herbie Lovebug brother. So then, yeah, remotely I was looking at they circle. I was talking to Stevie and hanging out with him. He's taking me places, this, that, and the third. I wasn't never cool with Herbie, but I was cool with his brother, so I seen it. You know what I mean? It was crazy like that. Now, if y'all don't know, Herbie Lovebug was the guy behind Kid and Play. Show of hands if y'all know who Kid and Play is. They as all well know as, who as, Kid as, and Play as, is. As well as Salt and Pepper <laughs> and, a, and a host of other, you know, acts. Yeah. So you start producing this act. Yeah. So you start working it out. You start figuring it out. And then you end up getting a deal. No, no, I don't figure it out. Okay. 
I don't figure out. What I figured out was that I'm not going to let the next person tell me we're not going to sample. Right. So so then fast forward to in the studio with Soup Times Leather. So I go in the studio with Eddie Irons, right? And Eddie, he same situation. I don't have no equipment. All these guys got the equipment. They got the drum machines. They got all of this. So I've got to tell them what I want to do. <coughs> Excuse me. So I tell them, this is what I want to do. I want, I want you to do this. I ain't know what do this mean, by the way. Because sampling a whole loop that I wanted to sample at that time, the machines weren't even made for that. Exact, right. You know, the SP-12 was, like, not even out yet, right? This was, like, Lindrum days and, and um, a Sinclair and shit like that, like, um, an emulator. That was the biggest sampler that they had. It was called an emulator, too. It wasn't even sampling, like... So... Um, emulator. Yeah, emulator. So I... I um, I'm telling him I want this beat. And he like, he giving me the same shit that, that Otis gave me. And I'm like, man, it must be, it must be because I'm young that these niggas not listening to me. Like, I'm really getting frustrated because nobody, if I tell them what I want to do, nobody wants to do what I'm saying. You, you had a big ego. <clears throat> no, it wasn't an ego. It was more like, literally, if you, you know, if you give me this water and I say, no, I want Ciroc. You want some rock. I want some rock. It's just what it was. I, you know, so I wanted to sample this beat, and they couldn't really get in their mind what what I was trying to get to. And what they weren't I, from your world. Huh? They didn't see the things that you saw. Yeah, but and, and that's, that's, that's one of the lessons I started learning about um, people not moving around and being in different cities and hearing things because they didn't hear what was going on in New York with Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out. So their minds wasn't even close to what I was talking about. Like, one of them lived in Macon and the other one lived here in Atlanta. And they, you know, none of that shit was happening here. What I heard on the radio was what I was trying to rap over, right? And this was before, like, way before anybody had started doing it. But still, once again, he he didn't get it either. So we made a whole album of shit that I really didn't like. Um... Cause that wasn't what I wanted to do, and that really that that point right there. What's crazy is we got a deal. I got these girls a deal on that album on music that I didn't like. I got them a deal. We still got them a deal. I got a little bit. Like, I think I got fifteen thousand dollars with that at, at sixteen. At yeah, sixteen, okay. seventeen, whatever, sixteen or seventeen. I took that fifteen thousand dollars and I went straight to Rhythm City. And I bought everything I could possibly buy for $15,000, right? From that point on, I ain't never looked back. I was a producer at that point. Now, now was that the birth of So-So Death? Well, Silk, Silk Times Leather was the birth of So-So okay. Death. Okay. Yeah. How'd you, what's the science behind that name, man? What's the? The science behind So-So Death. Well, everything was death. I grew up in the death era. Everybody was death. And, and you know, LL was bigger and deafer. Def Jam. Jam was here. It was so many deaths, and I was just like, you know, shit, I'm deaf too. <laughs> Wait, I'm so deaf. <laughs> I'm so, so much deafer than you. And that's how it came up. I said that. I said that. I'm so, so much deafer than you. And that's all like fucked up English, but I took the much off and just made it so, so deaf. You're 17 years old. You got a production company. Yeah. You got- I, well, I don't have a production company. I just got a group that I you got, a, you got a group. Yeah. Um, and now you're really in the music industry. No, not really. How not? Because, I mean, they didn't work. The group didn't work. Right. We got videos and we put music out, but it didn't pop off. 
excuse me, it didn't pop off. So it was like, you know, you're not in the music business. You just like, you gotta, you know, you fucking around. You, I mean, you you think you're in it, right? But you're not really in it. You know, we was video was on TV, MTV every once in a while. You know, and that's not in the industry. You got a you got a video on MTV. Yeah, yeah. Not, it's not you're not in the industry right. when you got a video on every once in a while, and you're not in the industry when you got to ask the DJ to play your record. You're not in the industry. You're just around. You're on the outside of that shit, still looking in, right? So that's how we was. But it was enough. It was enough to garnish a story, right? So as I got older, I think I was like seventeen. Yeah, I had to be seventeen. Um, it garnished this story about female rap in Jet or Ebony or one of these or magazines. Essence, one of those, uh, yeah, one of those three, right? Um, and they talked about Silk Tom's leather. They didn't talk about me. They talked about Silk Tom's leather. So one day, in the midst of this whole thing, I went to the mall, which was Greenbrier, and um, I'll go to the mall, <coughs> and I'm hanging out with one of the, the de- one of the girls from the group. And I see these two little kids in there, and I see people actually paying attention to these kids like I never seen nobody do ever. And I'm like, okay, I'm from Atlanta. We go to the mall. That's what we do. We go to Lenny Square and we stand at the food court, and we this what we do. But I never seen nobody pay attention to two people that I don't know like the way they was paying attention. That to these weren't guys. doing anything. They weren't doing nothing. Right. Right. So I'm what like, the fuck? I'm what are like, they doing? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, I'm I'm not in the music business, but I'm in the music business. So obviously this is a group that I, I just ain't paid no attention to. Right. Because the people are giving these kids giving these kids group energy, not not just like, oh, they dope. They paint, they following them. They almost like damn they're asking for their autographs and they not, they're nobody. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? So I start chasing them through the mall. Like, not chasing them, but I'm walking behind them. I'm sure I'm looking like a creep at this point. <laughs> uh, they walking through the mall, and I'm following them. Like, I'm watching them go in the stores. <coughs> oh, you, you're really stalking them. Yeah, yeah, I'm watching them go in the stores, and they go in the store. Yeah, I might need some water. I go in the, they go in the store, and the girl, the girl at the cookie place. Hold on, excuse me. Cookie Co., the cookie company that's outside in the middle of the mall, Right? <laughs> The girl at the cookie company send these niggas some cookies. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in the music business. I'm with a motherfucker who's in the magazine right now. We ain't getting no free cookies. We ain't getting shit. So I, I'm like, fuck this. I'm going up here. I'm going to ask these dudes what's going on. So I walk up to them. I'm like, yo, what's up? They's like, what's up? I'm like, what y'all niggas do? They's like, we don't do nothing. <laughs> That's what they told me Flat out Did they have an attitude at Yeah least? attitude Super attitude Like we don't do nothing And I said for real I'm like what y'all do We just be chilling That's how they was talking to me So like their attitude Was so hip hop I was Like my mind just flashed immediately Like as soon as I seen them And the way they was acting I'm like This is unbelievable and I seen the whole shit right there in that mall, like really, really flash and like that quick. So from there, you know, I was like, this going to be my first group. And this is this group went on to become <coughs> Crisscross. Yeah. Now, it's, it's interesting, man, in your history in terms of like coming up with the marketing and the, the clothes and the whole nine. Like 
Left Eye kind of helped you. Left nah, eye. no. Who, who helped nah. you? Who helped you? With the I count? found Left Eye. Okay, now tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, this is well, all going on at the yeah, same time. Yeah, same same time. Left Eye actually was like a girl from Philly that came to Atlanta and she wanted to get on. Right. Um, it's a guy named Ian Burke. Who? Anybody know Ian? Ian Burke actually is the f- fucking person that everybody should be talking about in Atlanta. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to tell you straight up. Ian Burke had his hand in damn near everybody that came out of Atlanta to create what y'all know Atlanta to be right now. Um, I, every day I'm always wondering why Ian never got the credit that he's supposed to get. So I'm going to give it to you now, Ian. I hope, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm telling everybody that Ian had his hand in everything. He found Left Eye. He found Escape. He found Arrested Development. He found the wow. Dungeon Family. Wow. He was with me with Crisscross. Like, he was in the mix with all of this shit. So, long story short, he, Ian was, I called Ian. Ian helped me get a, you know, a photo shoot on Crisscross. I ain't had no money, so I was trying to, you know, barter as much things as I could do. He said he knew somebody that could take the picture. Of course he did. He knew somebody. He found. He gave me a photographer. We did a photo shoot on Crisscross. At the photo shoot, he said, Jermaine, I found this new artist, this girl. She can really rap. She dope. And I'm like, whatever. I don't know. Like, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about these guys, right? Silly me. Uh, but he, he was telling me about Left Eye. So he introduced me to Left Eye. He's like, it's this girl. She be working at the airport. And she be... Um, she be making these signs that say she need money for these churches and people be paying and she got a way to, that's how she living. I'm like, what? Get the fuck out of here. So then I'm, <laughs> I went there and I seen her. She was actually getting paid like $500, $600 a day. And she was fake. <laughs> that's how I get them no money now when I go there. But I see that shit, I think about left eye. Anyway, uh, but nah, so she was doing this. And, but she didn't really have no place to stay, right? She was just moving around this, that, and the third. And I'm like, for some reason, I'm like, you could just stay at my house. Now, I don't know why I said this, because I was staying with my mom. <laughs> I don't know why I said it. But I, but some kind of way, I figured that I could sneak her in my house, and she could live there. And she did. She ended up sneaking in my room. Climbing? Living. Climbing or? Huh? She was climbing up in the window? No, 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 no. no. I mean, because my room was actively like a studio. Right. Like a studio, not a studio, like a studio. I had a little four track, you know, um, but it wasn't. So but, you had a lot of but traffic. But my mom would in, let the traffic come in. Right, right. When people left, I don't know if she knew. She probably went, she had jobs, so she had to go to work and all this. <clears throat> so left, I was actually in there. We was acting like, I mean, we was recording, I guess, and she just stay. So. In your closet. In my closet. And this was, pri- this was pre-TLC. It, was no, it wasn't no TLC. It was just left eye. Then Ian found T-Boz. And then he was like, you know what? We need to put T-Boz with her. And then I was like, that sounds dope. And then he's like, J.D., you need to make a song. So I started writing songs for this girl group that we didn't know, know, know the name. It was called Second Nature or something like that. The way I sing my songs that y'all guys have never heard and you will never fucking hear. Um, <laughs> Um, is the reason why T. Boz sounds the way she sounds today? Basically, so, she was trying to mimic me, and so that's why her voice is low and she sings like this. So, before we get to that part, this is going on, and you're focused on this group. 
This group is not called Crisscross yet. They're called. They're called C Connection. C Connection. Yeah. Because they're Chris's. Yeah, both named Chris. And how do you get. Oh, and it was a third Chris, too. We had a DJ. His name was Chris, too. So it was three Chris's. What happened to the third Chris? He just couldn't take it. Like he was, he was, he wasn't from, he wasn't cut from day clothes. Yeah. yeah. So how how do you get to crisscross and the clothes and the whole nine? So crisscross, you know, um, we start recording these songs. Like we had a song called "The Girl Is Mine," that was them arguing over Left Eye. Right. That was one of the records. She was in the song. Huh? Was she in the song? Yeah, she was in the song. Um, This is crazy, man. And I sampled Michael Jackson. I was just doing wild shit in my house, trying to just like make records. Then I made this record. One day, Chris Smith came. I picked him up from school, right? And he had like like eight pairs of socks on. I don't know if they'd still do this in school now, but nah, the kids out here was wearing like eight pairs of socks. And they socks was like, they'd smush them down, right? And wearing like this. And I'm like, why the fuck do you got just so many socks on? <laughs> and he was like... That's just how we do. Like, these kids were so, they was the coolest kids I ever seen in my life. They was just, then they would talk to me like that. This is how we do around here. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm trying to get deeper. And then the dark skinned Chris said, JD, this is how the little dope boys keep their dope when we in school. We have them in there, so you put whatever we selling on probably the top, on the bottom layer, which is the first pair of socks. And then when you, if somebody check you, you know, they don't go all the way down. Right, it's right, like right. so many socks, they don't check. So, some crazy shit, right? I'm like, so they really putting you on game, on yeah, the game yeah, right like, now. I'm, I'm from College Park. I'm not from the West Side. This right. is what's happening So these over kids there with, really came from that environment? No, they, like, they came from there. They, they, I mean, Greenbrier Mall and everything that happens over there was all, they was about every bit of that. Like every bit of it. So... They telling me about this, and they telling me stories about niggas getting, you know, jacked for starter hats and shit like that. That's why y'all seen, if you know Chris Cross, they had starter everything, right? Because that was, like, they was obsessed with this because of how people was robbing niggas out here in Atlanta for starter jackets and just taking it. And at the time, starters, was, people was getting robbed nationwide. Heavy. Nationwide. Heavy. But it was like a, it was like a test for them. They won't put on starter jackets and go to the mall and see if a nigga was going to do it. Like, Yo, I never knew <laughs> Criss Cross was that thorough, B. Nah, for real. Nah, these, these, these kids is really, like, they, they was, they, I mean, they went, to, they went to Bunch Middle School. Anybody here know about Bunch? Uh, I mean, a couple, I mean, they, they was, I mean, they, they was, they was real kids from the street. They wasn't selling dope, but they knew what was going on. They was, because they was only 11 and 12 when I met them, right? So... They was basically the same age I was when I got on the Fresh Fest. So I can't, when you say what I learned, I think I was putting, instilling what I learned when I was their age in them. So it was like a, just a cycle. Crazy. <clears throat> so they was telling me all this stuff that was happening. And then Chris Smith, he lived in this area now where Tyler Perry's studio is, right? There's some apartments that like go up this hill. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What it's called? Yeah. So these apartments is like a death trap. It's just one way in, and it's a big ass hill, and it's like one way in, same one way, way out. in, one way out, right? And it's like it's in a dead end too. 
It's like in the dead in the street and you go up. It's like the worst fucked and you up. You driving them there. I'm driving them there. It's fucked and, up. And like peeling the fuck out. All kind of shit. No, I'm not peeling. I'm not because I'm not really scared. I'm in like a uh, what kind of car did I have? A Delorean. Uh, uh, Delorean? No, nah, not a Delorean. Nah, I'm fucking with you. Uh, a Valori. Okay. Yeah, that's what I had. A Valori. Sounds like Delorean, but it was a Valori. Um, so I'm not. I'm not. I don't, ain't nobody gonna rob me. I'm. I don't. I don't got shit. I'm not thinking about that. But. You know, they they showing me all of this when we going, we talking. So I created this song called Little Boys in the Hood. And I took the sample from um Ice Cube where he say Little Boys, um Gangsters uh was yeah, the gangsters? On his on his first album. Gangsters Fairy Tale or something. Yeah, like Gangsters Fairy Tale. Yeah. So I took the first part of that and then I hooked and I connected it to Easy E saying Boys in the Hood. So I connected those pieces. So the little boys in the hood. I thought I, you know, I'm like, I done found it. I, I found something. Because nobody else is being the the news for these little kids. And it's just like you said, when you're little, you're, um, you tell the truth. You don't have no problems telling. You have no filters, anything. Yeah, no filter, right? So they'll tell me stuff that was like, I'm like, why ain't nobody talking about this? Like, nobody's saying this. So then it was like, click, click, boom. So th- in a sense, this was like the original Mob Deep. In a sense. For the most part, yeah. I That's mean, crazy. If Chris Cross would have been 17 or 18, they would have got a shitload more credit than what they, you know. Right. They would have got a lot more credit for what they did. So anyway, um, we do the Little Boys in the Hood, and I send it, show you how the circle work. The guy who mixed Silk Times Leather record back when I did the Silk Times Leather record, his name was Joe the Butcher. Joe the Butcher. Right. He was the engineer for the record. He got a label. Well, no, he didn't get a label. I didn't know that he had a label. But he was an engineer. He was a big-time engineer. That's what Warner Brothers told me. We're going to get this big-time engineer to do your record. So at that time, when they say shit like that, you think these people are super powerful. They can do whatever. So I got this Little Boys in the Hood song that I made in my bedroom. I I sent a message to Joe. I'm like, yo, I got something I want you to check out. I sent it to him. He played it for Columbia. And he called me back like two days later and said, yo, we want to sign this group. I ain't have Jump. I just had Little Boys in the Hood. My nervousness that we got a deal prompted me to go make Jump. I made Jump. That was the last song like in like an hour. Now, now (laughs) how did, what was the concept? Like you talking about gangsters and kids being thugs and the whole nine. How How do you go to Jump? Like how does your panic you said you was nervous. How do you, how do you, why do you create jump? Because I went back to my mindset of what I saw in the store. And I was like, you know, if I make them too hard, then they're not going to do what I seen in the mall. My whole process of f- being with these kids was the fact that what I saw them doing in the mall, we had to put that in a bottle. So I was like, this song's not commercial enough. Yeah, y'all got to deal with this song. And if we come out, we come out. But we got to make something bigger. You knew you had to have something. Yeah, commercial. I knew I had to make something bigger. Right now, going back to to my earlier question, <laughs> the, the clothes. How did it? Okay, so once we got jump, we wrote jump. I knew I had that song. I said that was it. But I still, I was going out with them every day, and the effect that they had inside Greenbrier wasn't the same effect that they had in Shannon Mall and Lennox. So I'm like. Something ain't right. 
Like you maybe to have the same something. In, I'm like these niggas probably tricked me because <laughs> ain't nobody acting the same now. This feel like I was tricked. Like somebody made me look at you because of this. And they was like, nah. I actually told them this. I wasn't thinking this. I'm telling them like y'all ain't got the same effect on the girls. They hated that when I said that shit too. So they was like, well, let's do something. So left, I was there trying all kind of crazy shit. Condoms on the eyes. kind of do. She would do anything. Did she try to get y'all with a condom? Nah. Get them with a condom? She tried to get them, put them on. We wore the condoms <laughs> on our pants and shit like that. She was doing any crazy things, right? And then ABC wore their pants inside out. And BBD was out at this time too. So it was just like the inspiration of try to do something. Try to do something else. Try to do something. Try to do something. So then we was wearing our jumpers already a hundred sizes too big, right? And these bow jumpers, right? You put them on. It was like I think Chris had a forty on. <laughs> Word up! She was so big. And she was so big. You could turn around inside the jumper without even flipping that shit around. So um, you could have put both of them in there. Yeah, I mean that shit was huge, Pause. right? Pause. So, uh, <laughs> pause. Uh, so uh, that sounded crazy. Uh, so he had his jump on. Nobody else had jumpers on this one day, and I was like, "Let's go to Lennox. And uh, they was like, "Yeah, let's go." And we was going to Lennox, and we do. We ain't had no money. We just go to the mall and walk around, see girls, blah blah blah. Before we got out the house, I said, "Yo, turn your jumper around." He's like, "Why?" And I was like, I don't know. Just flip. <laughs> I'm like, just flip that shit around. Let's see what it looked like. He flipped it around. It wasn't no problem. It didn't feel awkward because it was so big. We went to the mall. Soon as he hit the mall, the same reaction I seen in Greenbra, I seen at Lenny Square. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? I didn't know. Literally, I'm like, I can't believe that people are acting like this. These are people walking up to him like, yo, where did you get this from? I'm like, where did he get it? It was the same shit you got on. <laughs> like, they was acting complete. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sitting here like, I don't know what the fuck is going on right now. But I know that everybody, white, black, everybody, kids, grownups, they was wowing out. Because he had his jump on backwards. The, the record wasn't even out yet. Their record wasn't around. Nobody knew them as nothing but kids with their clothes on backwards. <clears throat> One person. I seen that shit. And I came back home. I said, listen, that's it. Y'all going to wear y'all shit backwards. And when we come out, that's how we coming out. Crisscross. That was the name of the name. Crisscross. That's crazy, man. That's it. That's crazy. So the group comes out. The song comes out. The song is lightning in a bottle. The minute you hear that record. Yeah. It that went gold is, in a week. It went in gold in a week. Yeah. Like, you didn't even have to... I remember I didn't have to buy the... I, I didn't have to listen to the album. Just on the, just on the single, I bought the album. Yeah. And the album went to sell 8 million Yeah, 8 copies. million. So yeah. now you're 17, 18? I'm 19. You're 19. Yeah. You have crisscross signed to you. Yeah. And you have 8 million records. Yeah. Now, how's the industry treating you? Uh, I'm still the same because I'm, I'm the youngest... I'm the youngest producer to have a number one record at that right. particular point. So, so, so nothing changed? Nothing. Because they don't, they don't believe that I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Right. And I don't either, really. <laughs> but at the time, you knew that you did. Nah, I really didn't. Because, I mean, because I was dealing with, because, I mean, I was dealing with so much shit 
that I wasn't really paying attention to. Like, like at like that what? same like at that same particular time when Chris Cross sold those records, I watched a group that was built in my house go sign with LaFace. TLC. Yeah. What happened? I was ignoring them. Right. I was not knowing what I was doing. That's basically what I'm saying. Like I was so into crisscross and I had such a connection with the guys that I was basically ignoring the girls and they felt that. It left I even called me. Like if you look at that movie that they made, you know that day when they got on the phone and they made that phone call, that's basically supposed to be talking to me. You know what I mean? They right. they they cut me out of the movie, but she basically called me and was like, "Yo, we got a meeting with with uh Pebble Tone and Pebbles wants to sign us." And I had the opportunity at that point to be like, "Nah, fuck that. I got y'all." But I didn't cuz I ain't had no label. I didn't have so so deaf. So you just let them go. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have I didn't have no outlet and I didn't want to be like a dick that would hold these girls from doing what they got to do cuz they was telling me that they was getting a deal. <coughs> so you 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 lose TLC. Yeah. But you see them pop. Yeah. <laughs> Does that light another fire inside of you now? No, nah, like- it didn't cuz you know what it did? It made me say um it made me think as a producer. Like all my times I'm thinking like a different person every time I'm doing something. Like I'm thinking like okay, well, if you, this is what I told her. I said, well, if y'all get a deal, just make sure I produce on your album. I turned straight into a producer. Right. And that's all I cared about. And they got a deal. I'm like, shit, I'm going to have like five songs on the album. I got some placements. Yeah, I'm going to be a producer. Yeah. That's all I was thinking about. How many, how many songs did you have on that album? Um, uh, the first album, I only ended up doing two songs. Right. Only. And, yeah. And then... Only. Um, on TLC's first album. Yeah, only two <laughs> songs. Um, and then... Um, Crazy Sexy Cool was damn near all me. Yeah. Which, which, which is crazy, right? <laughs> so, Crisscross now leads you to, how do you find Bow Wow? Because Bow Wow's your next artist, right? No, no, no. Bow Wow's way away from okay. them. Okay. You know. so, so, educate us, man. Um, so, so Crisscross is on tour. I'm out there hanging with them. I'm on tour. But I'm also at home trying to produce. Um, so then... Um, Let's go back, rewind. So crisscross comes out. I have a birthday party at my house, at my mom's house. Ian Burke comes to my house, and he brings this girl group with him, right? And I don't know what's going on with the girl group. The girl group, he makes them sing happy birthday to me, just out of nowhere. They just start singing, just like if somebody just starts singing in here. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they singing, and they sound incredible, and everybody's like, oh, shit, dude, happy birthday. And I'm like, who are y'all? And it's like, we escaped. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something with y'all. <laughs> I told them this. I said, I'm going to do something with them. Ian, I'm like, Ian, I'm going to do something with this girl group. He's like, okay, whatever. Like, I ain't had no label, so nobody didn't think I was for real. Fast forward like a month after that, I got a label deal. Based on... Crisscross. Crisscross. Columbia didn't want me to leave. You know, we get your production deal. All right. So, so deaf. Jermaine, what do you want to do? What's going to be your first group? You got in groups. You got a rap group. You got another, you got another crisscross. That's what they asking me. So then my mind switches again. I'm thinking like I want to be a, I'm a producer. I don't want, and I don't want none of y'all to think that I only make rap music. That's all. That's not all I can make. I can make everything. Where's this thinking coming from? Because most cats in your, at your, at, in your point, in, in your position, be like, yeah, I do rap. Yeah, I, 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 I was following. Teddy Riley was my biggest inspiration as a producer. 
And Teddy Riley was making damn near everything. Hip hop. Everything. Pop. He made R&B, everything. everything. He was making everything. And everything was dope. Yeah. So I wanted to be like that. Right. I wanted to be like I wanted to make everything. I felt like I felt like Teddy also was like um the most respected producer out of anybody at that particular yes. point in time, right? So I wanted that respect and I felt like the way he was doing it was the reason he got that respect. So I was like, shit, I'm gonna make a girl group first. So so deaf, Escape gonna be my first artist. Yeah, how different was it producing an R and B act from, from a hip hop act? Completely different. As far as like the people's the people's reaction. Like you just made a rap album that sold eight million. Now you wanna fuck with some singers? What's wrong with you? Right. Like most of the day was really like you really don't know what you're doing. And I'm thinking like, I don't, but I do. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't, you know, and I mean, I think, and I think a lot of that is like, somebody was asking me this other day at A3C about, do I feel like I get the respect that I'm supposed to get? And I think that that, the the reason I don't get what everybody else thinks everybody else gets as far as credit is because every time I start doing something, I swing it to the left and throw y'all the fuck off, Mm. right? And make people, they don't even know, you can't. You know, most of the time that stuff, people concentrate on the same thing. It's over and over and over and over again, the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, right? Me, once I get hot with something, I go to something completely different. Is this intentional or is this just your nature? I think it's both. Right. Um, intentionally because I'm testing myself to see if I'm built like that because I believe I am, right? But then I think also then the nature of it is just like, you know, I think that's the God gift that he gave me. Just I was built to do more than what people believe I'm supposed to do. You you produce this album, this Escape album. Yeah. Place it on, on, on Rough House Columbia, right? Is it on Columbia? No, it's, it's So So Deaf. So So Deaf. And, and who's distributing it at the time? Uh, Columbia. Columbia. What does that record do? Um, Number one in two weeks. And then, like, the first single just kicking goes number one in two weeks. And then um, the album goes platinum. This success that you're having, is this normal for you? Like, is this normal or do you think you're lucky or, like, you think you're a fraud? Because some people, when they're having all this luck, they're like, yo, when is this shit going to run out? Well, um, in, in, in the midst of this story, right? So in the midst of this story, I was mixing my record. So LA and Babyface moved to Atlanta. Crisscross is hot as fire. Um, I'm working on TLC with them. Um, and I'm recording something. I think I'm doing something at TLC, with TLC, but Criss Cross was number one still. Um, and Babyface comes to the studio. And I'm like... You're, you're a Babyface fan? Not really a Babyface fan. I know who he is. Right, right. And I feel like he's one of the prolific, you know, most prolific writers of my time, period. He comes to the studio, and I'm walking... I guess he's leaving, I'm walking in. And he's like, hey, I'm like, what's up? I'm real arrogant though. I'm super arrogant. I'm like, I'm think I'm the shit. We right. crisscross, we popping. But but you are the shit. Yeah, I mean, not really. Okay. And he let me know. <laughs> Straight up. He let me know this before this before Escape came out. And I think this is where the intentional part came from. He was like, you know, um, that little record y'all got is dope. He said little record. Yeah, straight up. He said, you know, that little record y'all got, um, I see it doing, it's doing good out here. 
And I'm thinking like little, nigga, you got me fucked up. Like <laughs> little, this shit is big. And he's like, you know, as a producer, you know, it don't mean shit if you do it once. I'm like, I start calming the fuck down. Like <laughs> he said, it don't mean shit if you do it twice. He's like, a true producer knows how to do that multiple times. And he's like, you know, that you ain't gonna really mean nothing till you do it multiple times. And he said that to me, and I was like, I kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I went on into the room. This was our conversation, me and Babyface. And I sat in that studio that whole night, and I thought about what he was saying. And that's that's what provoked Escape, really. Because that point, my mindset was just like, I'm going to prove it to him right. over anybody that I was built to do more than just what they think I'm supposed so, to do. Escape was personal. It was personal. I guess so, yeah. yeah. I wrote every song on that album. How do you jump into songwriting? Because songwriting is not something that comes natural. To me, it is. It's like rapping. It's the same thing. What were you writing before? Um, raps. The same thing. It's just, it's just like, it's raps with melody. You know what I mean? At least the way I write. I write the way, you know, I write songs that um, just raps with melodic melodies. You got two successes under your belt right now. Yeah. What's the next thing? So then the next one that goes to Chris Crosses on tour, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre used to do this, or Ty One, they used to do this thing in the middle of Chris Cross show where they bring people on the stage. <clears throat> they was in Chicago. They brought up this female rapper named The Brat, and she got on stage, and these niggas called my phone. I wasn't there. They called my phone, blowing me up, like, after she got up. I'm like, I done missed calls. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? At Lover Call, JD, it's the female rapper out here. I'm like, fuck female rappers. You weren't into female rappers? Nah, not with no bit. They wasn't doing nothing. Female rappers seemed like, that seemed like my disaster area. Because I couldn't see it. I'm a, I'm a Virgo. I like to plan and I like to know what the fuck is going on. Or at least try to plan it so I can get to where I got to go. Every artist that I put out, I saw their career before it came out. Right. Brat, I couldn't see. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was like, you know, female rappers ain't selling. Latifah's the biggest artist that they had at this at the point. MC Light is the one that we like. Um, Salt and Pepper. Yo-Yo. Um, Salt and Pepper. I mean, Salt and Pepper was big. They, they, they broke, but it was one female. as a solo. Right. Moni Love was dope. You know, it was... It was like a scratch of the surface. Like I was like, it's not I don't I don't believe I know exactly what to do here. I told her that. I don't know what's going on here. We got in the studio, we started working. Da 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 da. Um I'm writing all her rap seat too at the same time. Are you doing this like dragging your feet like uh <laughs> this is not gonna No, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure it out. But what was it about her? Huh? What was it about her that you were doing this work for? Like what, what? I mean she had she had the whole attitude. She she embodied the same thing that Criss Cross embodied as far as people paying attention to her. When she walked into the room, the room lit up. She had that it. Yeah, that's... she had that it factor. So I was paying attention to that, and I'm just like, I got to figure it out. So I even took control of the project. I started writing her raps because I'm like, I don't believe that girls, female rappers talk about shit that niggas want to hear. So therefore, 
you gotta say some shit that niggas wanna hear. We don't care about. I don't care about the girls. That's what I was. My mental was on. Impress us. Impress the male fans. Because I mean, guys are the ones that drive the cars. At this particular point, this is when cars ride by with the booming system. This with that 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 whole era of life is guys. It's not about girl. I never seen. I have seen girls, but I ain't never seen a girl like laid back in the car and come down the avenue. You ain't never seen that either. (laughs) Just. I mean, like, especially where I'm from, on Old National Highway, niggas used to push their seat all the way back to the back. <laughs> they used to be in the back window. You couldn't, right. even, you couldn't even see nobody in the front. And they, like, for real. You could damn near, they lay the, the seat be laid the fuck down, and niggas just be driving them. This was like, this is that era. So I was trying to make music for that. Um, and then one night, in the midst of me writing her raps, I'm telling her something. And then I, she said something else, and that's what sparked Funkify. It was like, oh, that shit sound dope. You, I said something, you said something. But then I didn't want to rap. I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not about to rap I'm on your producer, record. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a producer. And she was like, nah, nigga, you should rap. And I'm like, man, fuck this shit. And then I just got on the song. It was like fun for me. I wasn't even paying no attention to me being a rapper. I was paying attention to me just helping her. That song came out eight weeks. It went number one. She sold a million records, and she became the first female solo artist to go platinum. And she's the first, fe- like, she's the person that inspired you to start rapping. Yeah, she's the one that made me basically start rapping. You know, it's, it's interesting in this story, as she's going on tour, she's on tour now with, 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 with the Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Craig Mack. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, once the record started working, we go on tour... She got this little tour that we doing around. It's Craig Mack, um, Notorious B.I.G. and the Brat. And out of the three, it's the Brat that's 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 that's. Well, Craig Mack got the scorcher. He got yes. Flavor Year. Flavor Year was. He's killing everybody right. basically, and then Brat is coming on killing Biggie. And Biggie's like, "Yo, dude, like she's killing me." Yeah. He's he's having a conversation yeah, with yeah. you, like, Yo. like me and him got cool because of that. Like we got really, really, we became really, really good friends because. Because the brat was kicking his ass. Because he couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and he he thought he thought what him and Puff was doing was completely wrong. He was like, JD, you gotta make me a beat. JD, you gotta do this. JD, you gotta teach me, you gotta show me everything. I'm like, I don't know what to do with you. Right. Right? For real, because you know, he could rap. That's what it was. It was just like a nigga that could really rap. Nobody he hadn't nobody had got spark yet. Nobody. I was Spark. Right. Because he, like, because in you Juicy. You saw what he was. Well, yeah, because in Juicy. Well, I didn't know what he was, but in Juicy, in Juicy, he's talking about my life. That's how I'm listening to that song. Birthdays was the worst days. And we sip champagne when we Thursday. I'm like, that's what the fuck I'm doing. Damn right, I like the life I live because I went from negative to positive. I, I was thinking, like, all of this. Because, by the way, I got kicked out of school. We ain't talking about that part. I was on a Fresh Fest. I had got a tutor, but Atlanta's so slow and it wasn't up on this that when I took my grades back to the school, they marked me absent. So they failed me from ninth all the way out. So then I just was like, fuck school, right? Because I couldn't get the, I wasn't going to get the time back. So I basically got kicked out of school and I basically got you fucked stu- you up. Stu- you, had a, you had a tutor that was... Yeah, I had a tutor on tour. I was okay. doing what I was supposed to be doing, but the school system wasn't... They didn't know nothing about... 
touring and why you would have a tutor. And it wasn't when part I of came, this Yeah, it wasn't back. So when I came, I, maybe we didn't know what we was doing either. So when I came back and I turned my grades in, they thought I was cheating. Whatever they, whatever they thought it was, they just failed me on all my classes. So I never graduated from high school. That's crazy. So when he says that in that song, the shit that he's talking about in that song, it all relates to me. You know what I'm saying? It's all like just everything that he's talking about in that record. When I heard Juicy, I'm like, that's my song. Like, nigga, you talking about me. Like, I don't know what you talking You know what I'm saying? So I, I was just like, so, and I'm a hip-hop junkie, so I was like straight, like all on everything that Biggie was doing. But everybody else wasn't fucking with him. Right. Right? And, um, because of how he looked, or well, I, I just don't. Right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that he, he time didn't pop, yet. He didn't pop yet. Bro. Yeah, it wasn't that time yet. And he was just like JD. I gotta get, you know, JD. You gotta do you gotta do something for me, homie, right? <laughs> so I said, uh, I said, all right, we'll tell Puff, let's do it. Right. So then Puff sent him to Atlanta. He came to my house in College Park, and we did Big Papa remix. Um, and they thought the Big Papa remix was gonna take them to the. Final Frontier. Right. Not knowing that the original version they, took they, them they to the Final it, Frontier. They already yeah. had it. Yeah. Yo, what was your relationship with Puff at the time? Um, Funny. Because <laughs> uh, me and Puff, we talk about it now. Like, we was arch enemies because of the people. The people wanted us to be, he's from New York and he's from Atlanta. He's doing this and he's doing that. Like, the people wanted that. But I was a supporter of Puff from day one. But it's still crazy because when you're in, a, when you're in an arena and there's probably a handful of y'all that's doing the same thing, y'all might see yourselves as comrades, but it's still a competitive sport. Yeah, but I ain't see it as no competitive just because I'm the one. I started before Puff. Right. You know, like right now, he'll, Puff will tell you right now that I stole his ad libs. Right? He'll tell you that. Right. That's what he'll say. I was talking on records before he made a record. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Escape's first record. Crisscross, I was talking on the record. I'm talking in the background of all of them records. Like, I've been doing that shit from day one. I just started getting a little bit more cockier with it and right. turn my vocals up a, a little, little bit more louder. vocal, right? Yeah, but right. for the most part... <laughs> you was, created the ad. <laughs> yeah, I've I, I been doing that. I was right. talking on the records for the longest. And what's crazy is... Huh? Take that, take that. Yeah, take I never that. said that, by the way. <laughs> Pause. He, he got that one. Uh, but so, so in a recent conversation that he and I had, and Bow Wow was there, because Bow Wow, Bow Wow slips in this zone every once in a while, where he believes that he's bigger than Crisscross, and I—that's my son. So I allow him to slip into this <laughs> place every once in a while, but. One night, he slipped into this place, and Puff was there. And Puff heard him talking like this. Reckless. Reckless. And Puff was like, yo, this nigga's crazy. <laughs> and Puff gave him this education that I never knew, right? Puff told me and Bow Wow that Criss Cross is the reason why he's in the music industry. Can, can you tell I was us, fucked up by that. How did he explain that? And, like, and what the, he said was... Him coming from being a black man and being from the hood, he's seen every race in America do something that a black person created. And he said that's when he got the idea that it's very possible for him to do what he wanted to do 
in the music business. He was a dancer too, by the way. Yes. So he was dancing, and he pro- this is probably what happened. But he said he's seen crisscross turn like every age group try to do what he what they was doing. And like I'm sitting there listening to him, and I almost had like an out of body experience because it almost felt like I didn't create it. Right. Because I'm listening to him tell Bow Wow. He's not talking to me. He's telling Bow Wow this story about why he's making music and how crisscross and how he wore his pants backwards. And I'm sitting there like, damn. So in a sense, he's giving you props. Yeah. In the, in the, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like I said, that, 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 I think that, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think that has a lot to do with the recognition. Because that's one of like the biggest questions that people always ask. Jermaine, do you think you're the uh, recognition that you're supposed to get? What people don't understand is that Jermaine Dupree is, a, is damn near an independent pusher. I've never had a cosign. Nobody cosigned me. My artist cosigned me, but I make my artist, right? But other than that, like, you know, I never signed a Def Jam, so I never had Russell Simmons as my right, cosign. Right, right. I you never didn't have had, Clive Davis. Yeah, I never had I never had a cosign. You know what I'm saying? Like I never uh um I didn't sign the uh Arista, so Clive Davis wasn't my cosign. Puff had a cosign. Puff signed to Clive, Clive was his cosign. I never signed that LaFace. So L.A. Reid wasn't my cosign. Like, I've been going head up with all of them niggas since I was 19 years old. Right, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, um, I want to talk about that period. I, from my perspective, man, that period, like, when, when you were established, Puff was coming up, you know, it was like the era right after Russell Simmons. Like, Russell Simmons broke down the door, and then all of a sudden you had a... a a new generation of cats that wanted to fill that void. Puff is one of them. Who were some of your other contemporaries at the time? Well, you know, it's crazy. Like I said, Puff wasn't, he wasn't even in the mix. Right. It was more Herbie Lovebug, Teddy Riley, um, Gene Griffin. Gene <laughs> uh, Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was a lot of other people that was there that was like producers that turned into what I'm talking about. So um, what Puff did with Bad Boy, because it's funny because Puff went and produced... Um, Usher's album, Usher's first album, first, and this is a funny story because Puffy Puffy used Usher's money to make Biggie's album. Yeah, yeah, y'all don't hear me. Uh, but anyway, I mean, like in the midst of like when he was supposed to be making Usher's album, Usher had a budget. Puff didn't have no budget for Biggie, so it was times when like Usher was supposed to be recording them sessions would turn into Biggie Biggie sessions, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, you can't knock nobody hustle. So you know, he did what he had to do. I can't, you know, I mean, I can't fault him. But this was a time when you know, this was around the same time when Puff got fired from Uptown, right? Right. So he had to do whatever he could. She, possibly, and he, he just had Justin as a son. Yeah, he had. But to do she what, was real. Yeah, he had to do whatever he could do to get it done. So I, you know, I don't fault him, and I, I, you know, he did what he had to do. But at that point in time when he was doing that, Escape was out. I was making records already. I was, we was out. We was doing. We was, you know. I had I had two groups, right. platinum artists at that time. So I was already you know ahead of him in that in that pace. So he wasn't really the one that it, Teddy Riley was my focus. Okay, that's crazy. That was just my person that I was like, I'm gonna be Teddy Riley. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna jump around, man, because we could sit here. Yeah, all night. All night. I see. And I, I, I don't know how much time y'all got. But I, I'm going to start jumping around, man. Like, 
you know, one of the things that impressed me um, was your ability as a rapper when you did the song Money Ain't a Thing yeah. with Jay-Z. Like, you go head-to-head with Jay-Z. Like, you literally go head-to-head with Jay-Z. I want to talk about how you created that song, how you linked up with Jay-Z and, and the whole execution of that, man. Um, once again, it was always something circling, right? So I did, um, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> I did something that I was saying on a record, and then Jay-Z stole it. What, what was that? I don't remember. That's what I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember that. Bounce. Um, I don't want to say it wrong, but I, I think it was, I want to say I think it was Drew Hill, right? I think the Drew Hill record came before Money Anything. I might be dead wrong, but it was something like that. It was something like the You Want to Dance part. You want, this, I'm going to make you this dance. This is 1999. Right? So um, whatever it was that he did, I heard him do it on a clue tape. And for me, once again, I'm a little guy from College Park, Georgia, where, you know, if a New Yorker do something, I I said, I feel like I done made it. That's a nigga I made it moment right there for me, Right? I'm like, oh, shit, I got a nigga from New York saying what I'm saying. <laughs> shit done changed. So, <laughs> um, because I couldn't, you know, they wouldn't play none of my records in right. New York. Uh, you know, Red Alert's my friend, and he told me, like, J.D., you know, I'm your friend, but the shit ain't going to work up here. Chuck like, Chill Out, too. He was like, we don't fuck yeah, with that yeah, country We don't shit. fuck with the country shit. Like, and they, Chuck Chill Out was really talking to me like, that. you country-ass niggas, man, come on. Fuck you talking about? That's I'm like, crazy. That's I'm like, crazy. damn, you know. I, I'm, I'm taking it because it I mean, it's like I'm young. It, it didn't really affect me like right. that, right? So we did this pitch in Harlem. It was me and Criss Cross, and they asked us to come. It was the XXL. It was a great day in Harlem with the, like, the jazz artists, yeah. but they did the picture with the hip-hop artists, right? That day, every, all the hip-hop artists was out there. Criss Cross, we met everybody, basically. I didn't know Jay-Z, but I heard him. So that day, I walked up to him. I'm like, yo, what's up? What's up? That's what he said. I'm like, this nigga talk like me too. <laughs> so we said something else. And for real, me and him talk like we talk the same. We have a conversation, y'all will be like, who the fuck took who shit? Like, right? So I'm saying like I'm saying like I heard you did my little thing. He's like, yeah. Oh, he acknowledged that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how we should be talking. He's like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, and Jay, that's how he, one word too, like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Um I'm like, shit, well, we should do something. I'm like, since you since I'm on your brain, then you know there it is, right? right. So was that a pause moment? No, 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 no. No, no. Pause decline. Yeah, all right. <laughs> just just for the thought. All right. <laughs> so um so um, um, we have a conversation, and we like he like, well, what's up? So then I take that moment, and I bring it back home. And once again, I done made crisscross, escape, brat. And I'm thinking my record, I'm thinking like, I don't care what my record sell. Right. I'm saying to myself like, if I'm going to do a Jermaine Dupree album, it's got to be true to who Jermaine Dupree is. I'm a, I'm a rap fanatic. I come from Adidas come, in the air, yes. 
no hook. Your legacy is unfuckwittable. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but but let me let me interrupt. So now you're at a point in your career where you put out enough records where you were approached to do your own album, or this is your own volition. I want to do my own album. Well, people are saying like from Brat Record, they like, yo, JD, when you gonna make your record? Right. And then I was doing what niggas do on mixtapes now, where I just take niggas songs and just rap on them as my practice, but I never put it out. Like like um the the uh, Queensbridge murderers. Yeah. I had those College Park murderers. Um every song that was just like Flipping what G Unit do, I was doing that, but I was making my own tapes. Right. It was this so so deaf tape. If you was lucky to get it, that's what you heard. JD flipped the version of the song he rapping on it. That's what I was doing. My homeboys from the West Coast was like, yo, that College Park murderer shit, that shit hard. I'm like, man, that's just some bullshit, man. Yeah. It's like I'm it's like I'm just rapping over nothing. And like everything I did, like Jazzy Hoes was a song off my mixtape. All I like is them Jazzy Hoes. I was bugging the fuck out. Cause that's what I was on. I was on some jazzy bitches at this time. I wasn't <laughs> like so. I was like, I made these crazy songs and people was liking them. So then they promoted me. They provoked me to make an album. So I took that again. I said, okay, well I'm gonna make a whole rap album. <clears throat> I'm gonna make my album like this little mixtape that I want. Right. And I said, if I put out a first single, it probably ain't gonna have no hook on it. Ain't gonna be no singing. Ain't gonna be no escape shit. It's gonna be because Brat had. Functify had a single on it, so it was singing, so it was melodic. I'm like, that's not what I'm. That ain't my album. Be rap. My album come out. I'm gonna be my shit. Gonna be rap. Rapidly rap. Flat out. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, that's what I was on. And I said, I'm I'm gonna get Jay Z. Cause I'm thinking like it's just like this show to me, right? This show is a hip hop show. Like this is a hip hop. Show like when niggas told me I was doing this show, I was like, "For real, it's a super hip hop show." Like I should walk in here with my backpack on. <laughs> like that's you know this is a hip hop show, right? So that's how I felt about Money Anything. And Money Anything got me the first when I made Money Anything. Clue put my song first on his mixtape. Mm. Now, if you know anything about a Clue mixtape, when Clue was making mixtapes, the first song on the mixtape. Had meant that meant that shit was fire. Kuminati. Right? Kuminati. <laughs> nigga called me from New York. He was like, JD, your song is first on the clue tape. I was like, what? Oh shit. I, I, that's all I cared about. Right. That was my I made it. I didn't care about that song going platinum. I didn't care about that song going gold. <clears throat> I was thinking, young nigga from College Park made a real rap record. That's all I wanted to do. Now, how the song was made was Jay-Z was coming to Atlanta. He was coming down here so we could do it. I was going to pick him up in my car. No car service. I went and picked him up from the airport. On my way to the airport, I'm listening to his record. You know what I'm saying? Which, he said, which, which record? Um, um, Can't Knock the Hustle. Okay. He says, deep in the South, kicking up top game. You know what I'm saying? On the highway, switching for lanes, screaming out the sunroof, money, money anything. And I heard that line. I don't know why that song was playing on the way to the airport, but that song was playing. And right when I was getting off at the airport, that line. And I don't think I think if he wouldn't have said "Deep in the South," I probably would have never used it. But that's the line that sparked it. When he said "Deep mm. in the South," I'm like, this nigga 
was thinking about down here. So let me put him back in that place. I already had the beat at the house before he got there. You had the beat. Yeah, I had the beat. I was like, I'm using this week in the knees. This shit is stupid, right? So when he got in the car, I said, yo, he said, what are we going to do? Our conversations is weird because it's like one word, right? Like, <laughs> hey, yo, yo what's up? Hey, Good. what are we going to do? I'm like, I said, shit, this the hook. He's like, what? I said, listen, I play this beat part. He was like, what you talking about? I'm like, I'm going to take that. He's like, nah, you ain't going to take it. I'm here. I'm going to say it. I'm like, what well, shit? Yeah, just say it then. He ain't heard the beat, right? This is the conversation from the airport down Old National. <laughs> so we, we driving back down Old National. We get to my mom's house. <clears throat> we go in the house. He's like, you got the beat? I'm like, yeah. I hit the beat. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. I'm telling you, the beat went around eight bars, right? That nigga said, let's go. I said, what you talking about? He's like, where the engineer at? I said, when the fuck you going to write the rap? <laughs> he said, I'm ready. I said, what? <laughs> so I called my engineer. I said, yo, this nigga say ready to do the rap. I ain't even tracked the beat or nothing, right? So he tracked the beat. He said, ready to go in there. This nigga, when I tell you how he went to the studio, eight bars. This dude right wrote that rap in his brain. And I'm like, yo, how the fuck did you do that? Right? Now, I'm, paper's all around the studio. This is the day. Because <laughs> you know you're going to be rapping with yeah, Jason. pads and all that. This is the day when every pad got erased from my studio and my life. Every That day, I learned what he was doing. I'm like, I got to figure out how the fuck he did that. Like, it's something that he wrote the rap in his mind, and he ain't write the shit. How do I do this? So, while he's in there saying his verse, I got a written verse, by the way. My, my verse is written. But the last parts of my verse, I didn't write. Because I'm trying to mimic what Jay-Z's doing, right? right? So, I, I mimic what he's doing, I guess, and you say I'm going toe-to-toe with him. I'm... I tried my damnedest to mimic and do what I thought he would do. Right. That's how it got to that point. But that was my learning lesson. Like, from that day on, I have never written anything since then. That's crazy. So, like, every song that you've heard since Money Anything, I don't, I don't even have no paper to show y'all that I wrote it. And that's a perfect record, man. For real, that's a great record, man. Thank you. You know, um, jumping around again, man, and I want to change the tone. Um, I remember growing up. Um, and sitting in, in Broward Park with my boys in, in Brooklyn. And all of my boys, like about 70% of my boys said, when I grow up, I'm going to end up with Janet Jackson. That's what, this is all my, my entire crew said that. Pre-poetic justice. How did you meet Janet, man? How did you meet Janet? Well, let me say, I, I never said that, by right. the way. You, you never had that goal? Nah, she wasn't on my list. She wasn't on your list. <laughs> Who was on your list? Who was on your list? Uh, it was a couple of other. Like, I was on Apollonia and Vanity and... Prince's... Prince's. Anything Prince was fucking, I was like, <laughs> yo. <laughs> that nigga, by the way, if we... He's a musical genius, but that nigga's a... 
pimp. <laughs> nah, so, uh, but yeah, nah, she wasn't on my list. Right. Yeah, she wasn't on my list. What was that first date like, man? Um, I don't know, actually, which one was the first date. I mean, we, we you know, I met her, um, I met her hanging out. Was hanging out. She was at some place. You know what I mean? No, 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 I take it back. I met her at a crisscross at her concert. Just what I did. I met her at her concert and she gave me a crisscross passes. We came back, we met her in the dressing room, right? I'm the producer, so I never got nothing that they got. They got all the props and everything. So I met her, I shook her hand, I told her I'll see her again. That's what I told her. And I seen her again. When did you decide that? That, that she was going to be on your list? Um, I don't know. It just happened. It wasn't even really... Like, I did... I threw a birthday party for her. Because I felt like... Like, when I met her, she was from a different world. Like, she wasn't from the world that that I came from. I was, like, the party animal. You was she, in the streets. Out, hanging out, doing things. She wanted to have a party. I threw a party for her in Miami. We wasn't dating, but I threw a party for her in Miami. That led to us hanging out. That led to people saying we was dating. It just happened. I want to read a quote that you said about the relationship. You said, when you're in a building with a king and a queen, you got to choose sides. Word up. What, what does that mean, man? That means her fucking brother's Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and she's Janet Jackson. <laughs> and it's five other niggas named the Jacksons in there, motherfucker. <laughs> you got to be... You gotta pick a side. Right. <laughs> Who you fucking with in this house? <laughs> I want to be. I, I want to be really respectful, man, because you know I'm not that type of shock jock type of cat. But how did that relationship? Like that's a whole. Like you said, that's a whole different background and a whole different setting. How did that impact on your life? Like how did that change your life? How you moved? Well, it didn't actually. It it, it made me become more nigger. And I, you know, you laugh when I say this, but I'm 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 gonna give y'all inf- why why I say this because what I found out that we don't pay no attention to is that the Jackson Five or Six is six niggas that do nigga shit that did nigga shit and was heavy like the first niggas that ever did nigga shit. You 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 gotta explain that. <laughs> and this like okay, so listen, if you ever if you ever been to LA before, right? If you ever been to LA before and you see you see in today's world, we see all kind of cultural people driving around in Ferraris and this, that, and the third. When the Jackson Five was at their peak, they was the only niggas in LA driving Ferraris. Niggas. They not mixed with nothing. <laughs> Pure nigga. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I don't think people understand this. So, like, when I start hanging around them, that's what I, like, I learned. And I also learned that when you that hot and it's five or six of y'all, ain't no bitches got a chance. None of them. They ain't got no chance because they going to all get hit. These niggas had everybody. I'm telling you, I'm just giving y'all the real from a nigga perspective. Right, right. Right? I'm just telling you flat out. Because, I mean, I thought I was going to encounter something completely different. Right? And it's funny because one time me and Jane was like, 
we had like a little spat or whatever, and she told me like, nigga, it ain't nothing that you can do that I ain't seen. I got six <laughs> nigga brothers. She said this to you. Flat out. Like, you got to really take that in and understand what I'm telling you. Like, these guys, I think, like, you know, like, when people say something like they they, they see us in the music industry, they don't really expect us to be, like he said, he didn't know Criss Cross was like, they, like I'm saying Criss Cross was. I don't think people understand that just the Jackson 5, Michael Jackson alone, like, sometimes people lose the fact that these guys is black guys. From Gary, Indiana. From Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. And they daddy is 100% nigga. <laughs> I'm dead. Tell I'm dead serious. Like, that's it, right? And that's what you, that's what I, that's what I learned. That's what I encountered. That's what I took away from it. It made me understand that just because you're in the music industry, man, don't change who you are. You know what I mean? Just because you become super popular, it don't change who you are. Um, just because I live in Buckhead now, that don't mean I ain't from College Park and I don't want nobody ever get that fucked up and you got to keep letting niggas understand right, that. Right, 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 right. Like, just because I don't live there, nigga, that's where I'm from. This is what I'm about. This is what I've been about since day one, right? Some niggas lose that, but for me, that's what I gathered from that. I gathered that, listen, as big as these dudes is, they done seen everything in the world. If one of them, I was told by Jackie, this is what I was told by him. When one of the brothers tell you that, that's what you got to respect. That's what they about. These is black dudes that do black dude things. Let's, 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 <laughs> with a lot of money. With a nigga. lot of money. Yeah, 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 with a lot of money. Doing what, doing what niggas, you know what I mean? That they basically, like like I said, so for me, it just made me understand, like, when we go into meetings, give people what you are. You know what yeah, I mean? That's a great point, man. Like, like you know, um, give the people, give the people what they going, what they really, what they buying into. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't, don't, don't tone it different. down. And then once y'all get mad at them, then you turn into a nigga. Because that's most people do in this music industry. Like niggas going to office. Hi guys, what's going on? Then when they shit don't work, they coming at my. I'm gonna fuck everybody up in here. <laughs> Damn, what happened to you? <laughs> Yo, you was just, the, you was different a week ago. Yeah, your tone was different. Yeah, your so. tone is different. Like, if your tone is, that's your tone, keep your tone, do what you're doing from day one. That's all I learned from that. Last question on the subject, man. What was your most vivid personal memory of Michael? He was Michael all that 24 hours of the day. Like, it wasn't no, wasn't no turning off. Niggas say turned up for what? Turned down for what? He wasn't turning down. Never. He was Michael Jackson every time he was Michael Jackson. That, that to me, is another learning lesson because I don't think, you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to see that. A lot of these artists of today, they don't, they're not really real about who they talking about on their records and what they're doing or the clothes that they wear. Like, you'll catch a nigga run outside and, you know, he got on some shit with a stylist there, but when he run outside and the stylist ain't there, he got on some bullshit, right? <laughs> or whatever. I'm just saying flat out. Like, dude, you wouldn't never catch that. That was, that's always, one thing. Always Michael. Always Michael Jackson. I don't care what was going on. Yo, I could go on and on, um, but I, I, I took some points of your career, and I just want you to say a sentence uh, with regard to these names I'm about to mention. 
Bow Wow. Natural. Mariah Carey. Um, I don't say one word. Or I gotta say. I mean, just a sentence. Um, <laughs> God given. Usher. Superstar. Bone crusher. Animated. <laughs> What's crazy about Bone Crusher? Bone Crusher was an artist before he put a record out, and he drew the first So So Deaf street label that I used on my records. People don't animated, hence animated. Yeah, he's right? animated. Um, L.A. Reid. Um, mogul. Jaquan. <laughs> Tipsy. <laughs> Uh, tipsy might work for Jaquan. <laughs> nah, Jaquan, I, w- I would say he- he's smart. He's a smart kid. Really, really smart, too. Beyonce and Destiny's Child. Um, superstar. Tiny and T.I. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, Chris Brown. A superstar that don't know yet. Mm. Mm. And I think, you know, everybody in this room knows that. Everybody keep beating me up on Twitter and everything else because I done said that I believe that he could be bigger than Tupac. I want to say this, and I'm going to clarify this. I'm not saying that he is anything like Tupac in comparison. What I'm saying is that we live in a world now where people don't pay attention to things that happen 20 years ago People pay attention To things that happened Four to five years ago Chris Brown is only 26 years old I want y'all to understand What I'm telling y'all He's 26 By the time Chris Brown Turns 30 years old The conversations About Tupac Will be gone For The most part Because this That's how the industry Is right now Niggas is not talking About things that happened Five years no more People are talking about What's You know they, they, They'll bring it up they will bring it up, but it won't be as, as definite as the conversation is between my generation. My gen- I've seen Tupac. I've been in a room with Tupac. I've been sitting on the couch with Tupac. I know him. Most of the people that talk about Tupac right now never even been in a room with this guy, right? It's a myth to them, right? Long as Chris Brown doesn't get shot or do anything bad that hurts himself like that, and he continues to make beautiful music and do what he does, by the time he gets 30... I believe people will be talking about this kid. You know, he'd be damn near big as Tupac. And I say big ass because when something happens with Chris Chris Brown, it's on every outlet in the world. Yes. Not just like, not just hip hop shit, not R&B. That shit is on CNN. It's on Good Morning America. It's, it's on, on TMZ. Every, it's on every outlet out there that you could possibly think about. Everything is says when it's when it's Chris Brown incident, whatever it is, it's on everything. So if somebody could bottle up that energy and say, when I put out my new record, make sure everybody talks about it. It's 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 basically easy to do. You just gotta put a plan together. And I'm just saying, as long as he puts the right people around him and he puts the minds in, in effect, he could definitely do it. Yo, um, I said too much probably for Chris Brown. And this is it's a lot though. Um Chris Kelly recently passed away. 
You remember your last conversation with him? Yeah. Um, JD, let's do this 20th anniversary. You know, like, they were the key to the 20th anniversary popping off the way that it was supposed to. Because if, you know, if I if I didn't start the show with Crisscross, then my story was fucked up. Right. You know, I had to start the show with, I started my, I did that show the same way my life went. You know what I mean? If you look at the show, if you was there, whatever. The chronology of Yeah, your- Crisscross came out first. Escape came out second. The Brat came out third. Like, I did the show the same way the records came out. You know, in 1996, I saw you on like on a little mini doc documentary. And you said, quote, I want to get Grammys. I want to keep creating, be like the biggest producer ever, the biggest star ever. How did you make out on these goals? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I did. I became like I have a record that nobody else has right now, which is a producer that basically has. Um, I had number one, number two and number three song at the same time. Like nobody's ever done that. Um, and I was put in, the, you know, in 2000, I think I was put in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most um, wow. successful producer in R&B and hip hop. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> so, so it's 2014. And I know you're an ambitious dude. Yeah. What are your future goals? Um, just to stay on par with what Jermaine Dupree does, you know. Um, I can't worry about what everybody else doing. I got to do what I do, you know. New Usher, new Bow Wow, new Jermaine Dupree, uh, new artists constantly, you know. Who's new Jagged Edge, by the way. Um, wow. uh, October the twenty seventh. Right. Yeah. We, we, you know what? By the way, we were talking a little bit off air about. Jagged Edge, man. What happened with, with Jagged Edge and Cisco, man? What I got, can I use the bathroom real quick? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I can't yeah, take you a can, break? You can. right. Hold on one second. Yo, don't go nowhere, y'all. I got three more questions. How y'all doing out there anyway? Are y'all entertained? Are y'all having a good time? Y'all soaking up this game? Now, I got to thank y'all, man. Y'all have been a great audience, man. A very great audience. What is it, Pete, about the, these last two guests that we had? Talking to them live, and then they got to run to the bathroom. Well, first of all, a lot of our episodes are long. People right. got to fucking piss. <laughs> you know? People got to take shits, too. You know? Hey, 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 hey. You know, I got, I got a couple more questions, and then I want to open up the floor for you guys for Q&A with regard to uh, Jermaine and his illustrious career. Yeah. Cheer. So you got anything to say, man? How's your trip down here? Everything is great, man. A3C is beautiful, man. You know, it's a great festival. Ten years, you know, congratulations to them. You know, it's, it's a pleasure for them to bring us down here every year, man. And, you know, it's funny because I think you got to explain how the first time we came down here and we were in the elevator and some dudes were like, what do you do? And uh, we're like, oh, we're from the Combat Jack show. They're like, and, okay. And, they're, and, and he, <laughs> I think he just spent off, pew, you know, but... Uh, you know, then the next year we came, it got bigger, and 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 then back this year too. You know, it's like it's overwhelming. You know, I mean, we wouldn't be here though if it wasn't for a lot of people that 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 helped us out, man. So, you know, I don't know if she left already, but I definitely want to give a shout out and a round of applause to Ty St. Louis, who really, really looked out for us and really made this happen. 
And then I also want to give a shout out to our boy, you know, Jason Lee Ja most, over at Boston. Like he really connected us with this whole thing, man. You know, so shout out, man. You know, and I, you know, I'm not really good at the ad living, so I hope Jermaine finishes his, you know, pee break. I don't think he's taking a piss if it's this one. <laughs> you think he broke out? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, what'd you do last night, Pete? Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking just turned into a sitcom? <laughs> yeah, this guy? I'm upset right now because the Giants are losing, I heard. Uh, they're losing? I heard they're losing. They better come back and win. Yeah, I hope so. Next week, we play his bum-ass Cowboys. <laughs> Here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, shh, shh. Nah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's the score? Yo, how did you turn a cowboy fan? I want you know. What's the score right now? Yo, honestly, when I think of Jermaine Dupri, like he breeds, lives like Atlanta. I remember when he made the Welcome to Atlanta shit. Like, actually, I'm from Brooklyn, and I was vibing to that. Yeah. How did you turn a cowboy fan? I did, I didn't turn. <laughs> oh, become. I was born in the seventies. Twenty seven. What? All right, we can get we can get no, on. No, nobody asks you, dude. <laughs> nobody asks you, man. All right, so I yeah, hate I, I hate rude I, audience members, man. I was I was born. Get him the fuck was, out of here. <laughs> I was born in the seventies, and in the seventies, the the only two football teams that you ever heard about Pittsburgh Steelers, was the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh oh, somebody from Pittsburgh back there, I guess. Yo, yo, Jermaine, man. You know, you hear these stories about. Um, Young talent, young actors, young singers, young producers that come in the game very young. You came in the game very young. But if you look across the spectrum, man, a lot of cats that came into the entertainment industry at your age lost it. They spiraled out of control, man. How were you able to stay so focused, man? Um, I'm not sure that I have. I, I spiraled out of control, too. Um, How'd you spiral out I of tried control? to. But, you tried to spiral out. Yeah. Like How? Just trying, just do shit, you know. Because I'm not like I'm not a drug addict, you know. I don't, you know, I don't do crazy shit that's like that to take me in a different direction. But I, I also believe that my life is supposed to be talked about, and I believe that it's supposed to be things that happen in my life that um that that is supposed to happen. And like I feel like I look at other people's, I look at a lot of people's careers, and I be like, you know what, <clears throat> um. Maybe I have too much success. Maybe because at one point in time in my life, I felt like people didn't want to interview me no more because I was like, felt like I was talking, like saying I was better than everybody because I was talking about so much success. It just felt like niggas was like, nigga, well, when you going to fall off, break our arm or talk, let's talk about something else, right? You talking about, like, I'm saying, you know, you talking about a man that. Every record I put out on Social Death went platinum or gold. And then I started dating Janet Jackson. <laughs> That's a perfect life, right? That sounds crazy, right? right? I guess. But, you know, so then it's like you go into places and it, it felt, I mean, I've, I, I felt it. I felt, I felt a couple of times when niggas just was, didn't really want, like, what, what you doing here? Like The hate. Not, I won't even call it hate. It's just like, you know, it's just like what Chris Brown is going through, like, Chris Brown has a dark past as as that's damn near as bright as his future, right? Like people want to talk about that 
more than they want to talk about his new records, right. and mm-hmm. that makes him get pissed off because he wants to talk about his new records, but they want to talk about right with me. I would come into places and be like, yo, I got this new album coming out. And niggas like, okay, what? You know. Whoop-de-woo. whoop de woo You always got a new record coming out, JD. Right. You know, but this one's going to sell. Like, there's, they'd there's be saying no crazy score, shit to me like no that. There's no story like, behind this. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, I'm like, yo, I need, I'm like, I got a new album coming out. Wish me some love. Nigga, you don't need no luck. Uh. I'm like, shit, the fuck I don't. How'd you deal with the success, like, in the sense of, like, you know, if something didn't match the last one, I mean, did you get real hard on yourself with dealing with all that success? Because you became successful and you had all these out, you know, something that didn't maybe lead up to what something was before. How'd you deal with that? What, as far as what? Not being something that don't work? Well, just success in general. Just dealing with success, you know, and trying to compete with yourself. Well, I mean, for me, I've seen it so many different ways that I really don't... I mean, uh, I still, like today, I still feel like I ain't really did nothing, personally. Because I've seen different successes of different in different lights, right? I feel like I did what I said I was going to do as a producer. But then I also feel like, but what does that mean, right? Because like in today's world, like you got people looking at me saying, okay, Jermaine, it's, two, it's 2014. What you going to do Like next? what you going to do now, right? So... I challenge myself the same way. I go back in, I drop, I put out a new artist by the name of Royce Rizzi, right? That that to me is on par with what I did with So So Deaf. You know, to me, Royce Rizzi reminds me of the Franchise Boys. He reminds me of um, the Young Bloods, or he reminds me of um, Jay Quan, or any one of these young guys that I put out. Um, because that's what So So Deaf was always about. It's about finding the new talent, not knowing exactly what that new talent is, and, you know, turning it into something. So, um, to me, like I said, I, I I never, I always feel like I'm being challenged, right. so it never allows me to settle into the success. You know what I'm saying? Like even what I told you, like from day one, I had crisscross. Crisscross was number one, and Babyface hit me in my knees. Like you got that little record out, and that's been like my whole story. Like every time I get an artist and I see that they going, once I see that I got them to a point where they going, I'm gone. I'm trying to figure out. The next play because I feel like that's what happens to people you're talking about. The people that get lost in the success, they get lost in the success. And it's just not, especially if your story is not to get lost in the, my story is not to get lost in the success. Right. Now I found out, man, you're very disciplined. Like you, 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 you do a lot of training. You do my, my Thai. That's what you think? Yeah. Is that, is that what you do? Is that what you do? <laughs> what do you say? My Thai? Oh, like, are, do you take martial arts? Man? No. You don't take martial arts? No. That's some fucked up Wikipedia shit. I thought that shit, shit was a drink. That's on Wikipedia. That's huh? on Wikipedia. Yeah. So somebody's fu- fucking with me. Somebody in here wrote that. I don't know. <laughs> Yo, tell the audience something about you that nobody knows about. Um, oh, I'm vegan. I knew that, though. Yeah, well, you said they, they might not know. No, I, yeah. me, me included. Something yeah. else. Well, I mean, I think that's probably it. I mean... um. That's it. I'm vegan. I'm I'm disciplined as if I was taking martial arts, though. Okay. Um, I'm 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 definitely that disciplined with, with myself. When it's time to do what I got to do, it's time to do my work. It's time to focus on what I got to focus on. It's nothing that can knock me off that block. Okay. Um, last two questions, man. You're seen as the initial architect of the Atlanta music scene. Like you remember when there was no music scene here? How's that feel, man? 
Um, I feel good and bad about it because it's like, it's the same thing as like when I used to buy cars. I don't drive no more, right? But I used to drive and I used to buy cars, right? I used to want to be the first nigga on the block with this car, right? The first nigga on the block with a car is the stupidest nigga out because you the nigga that get charged the most money. Um, niggas don't even know what you're driving. Um, it's just a bunch of dumbness, dumb shit that happened when you want to be the first nigga on the block with a car. I'm using this to say the same thing. Like when I was doing what I was doing in Atlanta, it's so much shit that got missed because I was the first nigga doing it that none of these people even seen, that people won't even ever see. You know what I'm saying? It's and 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 sometimes you get mad about it because I'm like, dog, I did this, I did that like already. What? Like what? I did this already. I did that. You name it, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, like take for instance Onyx, right? Just for example, like I made Onyx a black club. Niggas don't even know that. Like I had So So Death Weekend. I had So So Death Weekend. I used to go rent different places and have parties, right? Onyx was an all-white club, like a fucking country, like it was like Pink Pony. Yeah. The same owner basically owned Pink, the Pink Pony owned Onyx. It was an all-like white club. I said I'm going to take every stripper from Magic City, this club, this club, this club, and put them all in one club so I had to find one big enough strip club. The strip club I found was Onyx. The night that I brought that to that club, that club turned into a black club. Crazy. Now, do I want the credit for it? Probably somewhere. Well, you're saying it now. <laughs> let's give let's give credit for that. <laughs> but but I'm saying like it's stuff like that that happened that happened in this city that you know um, that that I that I, a lot of that happened because of me. You know, what I mean things that that you know that that people see happen now. So you know, and, and that that I don't get credit for. You know, like I like BT comes to Atlanta right for. Hip Hop Awards come to Atlanta. Every party in Atlanta, when BET comes here, it's called the Welcome to Atlanta Party. Where's the credit? I mean... Where's the credit? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like... Yeah. I mean, shit, you just said it. Welcome to Atlanta. Like, I don't... Niggas weren't even saying that shit until I put that song out. Not that I know of. You know what I mean? If they were, they were saying it... Where they, I mean, it wasn't put out to the world, right, right? right? So, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like... Do I sit at home and be listening to the radio? I'm like, every radio, every party, welcome to Atlanta. I'm like, y'all going to say my name? <laughs> but I can't. You know, you can't. It's, it's like, you know, you go into this. It's a, it's a good and a bad thing. So it's like, it's things like that. Then it's like, um, like I said, like, you know, when I, like I, when I watched the VH1 special, VH1 cut me out of the TLC piece. Right. Right? Uh, this is... This is documented that that was my group. This is history. Yeah, this is history. Like, don't 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 shortchange the people because not you're not shortchanging me. I know my history. You shortchanging y'all. That's what I was saying before about the Run DMC concert. Like, they not giving y'all the real of what's real no more because people just trying to do what they got to do and shortchange it. Like to me, I feel like loving hip hop in Atlanta is shortchanging our city because that's not really how this shit really pop off. Just, that's how it go. I mean, it's just like when people that's watching that from a different place, they get a different. Oh, you know, Atlanta's ratchet. Yeah, they. They. I mean, Atlanta's very ratchet. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is motherfuckers ratchet as it comes, right. but it's still a lot. Like it's so much culture in Atlanta. That's real Atlanta culture 
that we're not feeding the world the way the other cities fed us. You know what I mean? It's niggas out here that was damn near representing Compton that never even been to L.A. That means that this that that city fed us the way it was supposed to be fed, right? Um, I don't know that. You know, I tried it in my. I, I tried it in Welcome to Atlanta video. I tried to give y'all a little slang, talk to y'all. You know, saying nigga talk. I don't niggas can't understand nigga talking about Atlanta. You know, I saying I tried to give y'all that talk, but I don't think that people even understand. Like for the last twenty years, the culture of Atlanta is the most vibrant culture in the world. Fuck everywhere else. I'm not, and I'm not dissing anything else. I'm just saying the culture here since Michael Jackson did. The Bart Simpson, that shit came from Atlanta, right? Um, I mean, it's so much shit that, that comes from this city that I don't believe has been put to the people the way it's supposed to be. So, And then a lot of that I had, I tried to put out to people. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think the, the awareness of strip clubs in Atlanta came from me. Like, you know, it's a lot of girls out there that think that's all the fuck I do is go to strip clubs <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but I mean, just a lot. Of, it's a lot of things that. So it's a good and bad thing, you know right. what I mean? Some sometimes I'm happy about that, and then sometimes I'm like, damn, I wish I'd have came like a couple of years later because right, maybe right. I would have got the credit for it. Right. One of the things that you also credit yourself for is the way. I mean, it's a little controversial, but you credit yourself for the way New York radio sounds today. Totally. How so? Um, because I, when I put out, um, I put out Bone Crusher, right? When I put out Bone Crusher, Bone Crusher Never Scared was basically the beginning of the way crunk music sounds now, basically. The way all this trap music and all that shit, that shit, that, that, song, that one song sounds like trap music to me, if you ask me. If you take him off that record and you play that record and you put like, have some of the EDM shit in there. Da, da, da. It'll sound basically the same, right? Um, that was the beginning, right? When I put out Bone Crusher, I put um, Jada Kiss and Busta Rhymes on the remix, right? Because I wanted New York to play the record. I, I don't want to. I, don't, I wanted everybody to play it. So you had to figure out a way to get it. Yeah, accepted. and I had to figure out a way. And once that happened, these guys started being a little bit looser to rap on records that sounded like More down south music. Right? Once that opened the floor, that opened the floodgates for everybody to do that. And then it was like, um, right after Bone Crusher, I put out "Damn" the the Young Bloods, right? right? Those two records at that particular point in time was the hottest two records in New York. I remember this like it was like yesterday. I go to clubs and the DJs, that's all they was burning. Damn, Bone Crusher. Damn, Bone Crusher. And then it got to a point where it was so much that the DJs in New York started being mad. And they seen So-So Def Jackets coming at them. They was like, yo, we not playing no more Southern shit because that's not what we do. Trying to infiltrate. Yeah, you trying to infiltrate our city. That's not what we do. I was living in New York, by the way, at this time. So, um, (laughs) I came out with the Franchise Boys. Mm. Oh, I think they like me. Took the world over, right? It just went crazy. Then Lean With It, Rock With It was right behind it. It was like a constant pop of all of this. At the time, it wasn't like artists weren't popping out as fast as they was popping out. You know, Franchise Boys was Young Thug to Atlanta when they came out. That's who they, they was that. They was that. That's what they meant to the city at that time. 
Um, because they came out that they, before I even had them, they had white tea. They had they had a bunch of shit that was street shit that right. niggas was really fucking with them for. So you know, wasn't nobody really battling me at this time. It was just me. I was putting out. You know, I had D four L was I guess was like the opposite of the franchise boys. Right. But other than that, we was running rapid, right? So then I put myself Bow Wow and Brat on that the remix. Oh, I think they like me, and that made it a little bit more, much more commercial, <clears throat> and that took that sound. To LA, it took it everywhere, you know what I'm saying? And then that opened the floodgates for, like I said, for New York just started playing a shitload of these type of records. You know what I mean? It was just like whatever else mixed with, with oh, that. I think they yeah. like me, or whatever else mixed with, damn, it would come. And that just, I, and I, like I said, I, I've seen, I watched New York go from we not playing this shit to every hour on the hour. Yo, did you ever think you would see the day? Never. It's crazy, right? Never. I, I mean, I, like I said, I sit in the car and I be listening now. I'm like... Y'all you, need some New York back. <laughs> well, I'm just like... I'm, I'm, once again, I'm saying like, damn, you guys, you'll never get an opportunity to feel the pain that I went through of having to come to this city and not hearing nothing. Like, I, I went to New York when Criss Cross was smoking hot and still never heard nothing. I went to New York when the brat was smoking hot and still never heard nothing. This prompted me to make more records. I go home like and like the city was really so pro bad boy too at one point yes. that I would go to clubs and like hear SNS and these guys DJ and they would play like bad boy for like a whole hour and I'd just be in, the st- in that club like god damn. <laughs> like how do I ever get this? How do I how do I get an opportunity where the DJ played my songs for a whole hour. Because they weren't doing that in Atlanta either. They weren't playing So So Death for right. an hour. I was just trying to find, like, you know, whatever. Like, how do I get that? So, I mean, it was like, when you see that, you just see that period. Like, even like that, I was saying that today about how fucked up the radio is now. Because, um, unfortunately, the radio stations now don't have people in the stations that relate to what we're talking about right. right now, right? They just have a bunch of young people, which is not a problem, but it is a problem for music being split up, right? So now the generations of guys that's like PDs at most of these radio stations, they grew up in the hip-hop era. They have no love for R&B music. And I've been dealing with this for the Jagged Edge record because a lot of people nowadays, they're not hearing Jagged Edge the way they're supposed to, and it's basically because of this. <coughs> because the the stations don't, they they feel like R and B music is urban AC. Right. Like R and B music is not con- adult contemporary. It's black it's music. Just, it's just R and B music. Right. And I was talking to somebody about this because it's like Carl Thomas was on Hot ninety seven. Faith Evans was on Hot ninety seven. In two thousand fourteen, neither one of them artists can get on Hot ninety seven. And if they came out today. They still wouldn't get on yeah, Hot 97. Yeah, Not just because of their age. If they came out today with that song. You know what I mean? And you've listened like Jay-Z. Jay-Z, Jay-Z in um, Hustler Baby, he references a Carl Thomas song. When do you hear rappers reference R&B records in their records now? That's goes to show you how much more or how much these records was getting played. Or things you go to the club and, you know what I'm saying? And when the whole club sings that part. Everybody know that song, right? But what is the Carl Thomas song of today? I mean, you know, 
that I mean, you know, these hoes ain't loyal. That's that's a um, <laughs> um, that's a good song and it's a good R and B record, but it's not as R and B as a Carl Thomas record. Right. I guess that's what I'm saying. Right, right. So it's just I mean, you know, it's 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 like I said, it's just when you first you you get a lot, but then you also lose a lot. Right. Well, JD, man, this has been a great interview. Um, I'm out of questions. I got a question. Do they still have the wall in here that you can crawl up? Yeah, they, 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 got, the, they got the walls right I've there. I've been coming to this motherfucker for a long time before it was even <laughs> a stage in here. Spot is a fish. <laughs> I, I will say this before you go. I want I want to touch on this topic. You know, I know something that's near and dear to your heart, and and that's being a parent. Um, you know, I know you have two girls. And uh, I, live, I live by this thing that I made up when I was uh, away a long time ago. It's called presence over presence. And when someone's living that life to the fullest, I feel like it needs to be acknowledged. You know, but I definitely want to hear like, how parenting has changed your life or even influenced your life from being a parent. Um, my daughter, Shania, basically made me realize that nothing else matters. Um, like... Like I would make up stories all the time. Like like even this interview, like probably five, six years ago, I probably would have had somebody tell you, yo, he got to go in like an hour and I really don't have to go, right? Or, you know, same thing or anything else. Like, you know, somebody asked me to come to something and I'm like, you know, nah, I got I to gotta do something, right? But when you have a kid, you got to realize that these moments that happen in their life, they only going to happen one time. And, and same thing with your life, though. By the way, I'm saying it about her life, but it's the same thing with my life. You know, a lot of us don't realize that. Like, our life, things that happen, it only going to happen one time. Like, you guys hear, hearing this interview, you know, if you feel like it's legendary, if you don't, whatever it is, it's only going to happen one time. These niggas going to go back to New York. I'm going to go somewhere else, and this, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, what happened here tonight is just one time, right? And that's what, being a parent, I had to realize that, like, my daughter had um, like a recital of some ballerina shit, right? And I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, like, I don't know nothing about no ballerina shit. I'm not going. It's just it was really hard because you a guy and you got a little girl, right? So you got to do girly shit. Like, you, you got to be cool and you got to go do it and deal with it, right? And I was trying to fight this one night, like going to her doing her recital or whatever. And something just hit me in my head like, Jermaine, this might not happen tomorrow. You know what I mean? She might not want to do the recital no more. You missed it or whatever it is, right? It's just like pictures. You know, like if you, you like the one thing I can say that's great about this generation is that we take a lot of pictures and we, we document shit way more than like I, ever before. Like if I asked my mother to show me something that happened to me when I was five, it might take her five years to find that shit. Right? If my daughter asked me to show her shit that happened when she was five, I got it right here on deck, right? So um that that's one thing that, you know, the parenting, it made me realize that you can't you can't push shit off. And when you got a kid, the worst thing that you could possibly do when you have a child is let them down. You know what I mean? That's the worst thing any father could ever do. If you tell your child you're going to come and you don't go, that's the worst thing you could ever do because they're going to carry that shit with them for the rest of their life, right? And that's I started realizing that, and I'm like, I never, ever let that happen, but I was very, very close to letting that happen. And 
Shania definitely got me into a point where I was like, you know what? Fuck what's going on over there. I got to go do this with my daughter. And then, you know, before you even say it, you think that people going to be mad. But people respect that. And like, you know, so you, you got to do it. It's like a thing like ain't nobody going to tell you no when you say you got to go do something for your kid. You know what I mean? Like you think they are. You know what I'm saying? You think like, oh, shit, I got to, man, I got to go to this rehearsal. Rehearsal will be there. You know what I mean? Your child got to go to school, this, that, and the third. Shit ain't, it won't be there. It won't be there tomorrow. You know what I mean? It won't be there the next day. It's like if you miss it, you miss it. So I ain't never want to miss it. And so that made me be a little bit more, you know, a lot more um, present as well as, um, what's the word we said? Um about like the martial arts shit Discipline Discipline, discipline. It, it definitely put my discipline in perspective Where it's supposed to be now, Thank you man That's a great <laughs> um, Before we go I want to open up the floor for Three questions so, you, know, you know if anybody has a question Raise your hand and Don't be bashful It's Jermaine Dupree in the building Mickey Fax Grab them, Give him the mic um, my name is Mickey Fax, uh, artist from New York City. Yes. And, um, you know, I've been a fan of what you've been doing for a very, very long time. And um, on the on the stance of ghostwriting, I want to ask you, have you ever had someone ghostwrite something for you? Lyrically? Lyrically. Um, yeah. Um... Rock who used to be with my he used to be on the ROC used to be with us. No, nah, no, nah, he from he from he from Jersey. He from Newark. Yeah. Um I let him write a rap a couple of raps for me before. Cause I just like I wanted to see what it felt like to let somebody else write my raps. Um and then like, you know, me and Brat, me and Brat, we go back and forth. Like so so a couple of lines that she done said as to, to be my entry line, I took some shit from her too. I don't have no problem though. I'm a songwriter. I just how it go. <laughs> Second question. This young lady over here. Hello, Jermaine. How you doing? I'm Crystal Cold Blooded, Maven Incorporated, coldbloodedlove.com. Um, the new Atlanta that's going on right now, you made the record with the Migos and Rich Homie. They're both signed to, to Birdman right now. We grew up on you. Like, we, I'm, I'm born in 1990. We grew up on Jermaine Dupree. We grew up on So So Def. I'm East Atlanta, Georgia. So, how do you feel about the new Atlanta that's going on right now and the signing from Birdman and, and the, and everything that's, go, the culture that's going on right now? Cause it's totally different from the franchise boys, but it's not. I mean, I, I like, I like it. I mean, like I said, I like what's going on. I, I, I did that. Um, you know, you got to think like this. When I made Welcome to Atlanta, that's another thing. Like, when we talk about Welcome to Atlanta, I wanted everybody in Atlanta to use that song or to have a song. Like, I was like, you know, when I go to New York, Frank Sinatra got a New York song. This person got a Vegas song. The Van Halen got I Love L.A. that they play every time you go to a Laker game, right? You go to a Hawks game, you don't hear Welcome to Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I felt slighted. Like, damn, did my song not it was it not good enough or was I not did I not big the city up the way I was supposed to or whatever it is. But so when these guys came to me, it was they I did. They was like, JD, we're gonna take your beat, we're gonna do a new version of Welcome to Atlanta. I felt like um 
I didn't pay attention to the word new. I just felt like we was putting the energy back into the city of what I wanted Welcome to Atlanta to be in the first place. Uh, if, if that was going to help the younger generation say what I said before, then I was you know, all about it. Um, I, but I also feel like their energy and what they're doing, um, Young Thug to me, is, is he represents what TLC represented. He don't give a fuck what y'all think about what he looked like or how he dressed or whatever it is. He giving y'all him his energy. You can say whatever you want to say about him. He doing what he got to do. And to me, that feels like what I've seen already. And I, I support it. That's live, yeah. for real. All right. One more question. This gentleman over here. So um, I reckon um, when I was younger, I read a biography that you wrote. Um, and it was about your life. And basically, I'm, I'm seeing... Um, this whole conversation right now, um, a, a lot of it was in your biography. There was something that stood out to me. You know, you were talking about the strip clubs. You know, basically you put the strip clubs in Atlanta on the map, what you're saying right now. And I recognize that. And it's dope because um, I was so blown away when you said that you and Nelly spent about um, a quarter million or something like that, 100000 a quarter million in the club just on strippers, you know? Um, is there any time in your life um, where you were uh, throwing money in the strip club and you, you were hurting afterwards, you know what I mean? And you were like, damn, why the fuck did I do that? <laughs> nah, but I thought about it recently. I thought about it recently because like what you're saying and everybody's laughing about it, like religiously, 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 I must use this word over and over so you really understand what I'm saying. Religiously, I went to Magic City every Monday for 10 years straight. And I spent at least 10 grand every time I went there. So y'all do the math. Money ain't a thing. Money ain't a thing. <laughs> so I mean, like, when I, I went there recently, I went there the other night with, Us with Usher and, you know, we got kicked out of the other club and we had to go here. Yeah. You uh, and Usher got kicked out. <laughs> no, no. Jagged Edge got kicked out of uh, the go room because they had their hats on. Whatever. Uh, so we, we had to go. To, we went to Magic City. And when I was in Magic City, Usher got 10,000 ones. And I was looking at him and I'm saying, yo, you wilding. And he was like, nigga, I know you ain't tell me I'm wilding. I got this shit from you. And I'm thinking like, damn, I, I'm bugging. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like I don't, I don't go there like that no more. I don't get an opportunity to go there like that no more. And it ain't really, it ain't the same as it was right. when I was going. Right. So, but that night when I was in there, that's when I, it hit me. Like that nigga's for real. I was doing this every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, nah. I, I definitely have sat back and thought about it recently. I want to do it again, though. I wouldn't change it for nothing. So no regrets. You no know, regrets. Fuck uh, that. Yo, listen, Jermaine, man, this has been so great. <laughs> thank you. You know, I really want to thank you for taking the time out and not making an excuse that you had to be uh -huh. there. And, and, and I really appreciate this, man. I appreciate you. You're definitely me. somebody to be appreciated, man. Thank, thank you. you so much. Uh, I just want to say this. Everybody out there, please, I need all of y'all to get the Jagged Edge album because... Like I'm not even gonna I'm not I'm I'm not too proud to beg. I need everybody to get this record so that we can keep R and B music alive because it's dying. It's definitely dying. It's being put in a in a box like how country music is in a box. Like you can't see country music unless you go to Nashville or this, that and the third. That's how R and B is gonna be if we don't support it and do what we gotta do. So October twenty seventh, I need y'all to so show up. Yes, October twenty seventh. And you know, like I always do at the end of a combat jack show, dream those dreams. 
and man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blow. Jermaine Dupri, y'all. Yeah.